0: We are rocking and rolling here. It is the top of the hour. This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman, inviting you all to join us here on the 149th uh, uh, Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Zoom call. It is September 11th, a day that will live in infamy uh, uh, in 2023. Um, We, of course, are all commemorating the horrifying attacks on the World Trade Center in 2001. Uh, in which three thousand at least people were killed, and many, many more died. By the way, uh, from the toxic um, outfall of, of that horrible accident—accident, accident, uh, whatever it was—we're still trying to figure out what it was. Um, um, but the 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 lead, the mercury, the uh, asbestos, the uh, the glass, the all the other horrific po- uh, pollutants that came out. Uh, of the crashing of the World Trade Center, I'm sure killed more people than were actually killed in the actual accident. And of course, the uh, uh, EPA chair at the time, Christine Todd Whitman, has since apologized for not doing what should have been done, which was to evacuate uh, all, at least of lower Manhattan and probably all of Manhattan uh, and, and actually do the unthinkable which would have been to close the stock market, which the Bush administration did not wanna do. We are also commemorating, this is the 50th anniversary of of one of the most horrific and egregious uh, offenses of uh, American imperial power, which is the uh, inexcusable overthrow of Salvador Allende on September 11th, 1973, Uh, the duly elected socialist uh, leader of Chile, uh, who was murdered by the Central Intelligence Agency? There is n- that is not a conspiracy theory; <clears throat> it is an absolute fact. We all know it to be fact. Henry Kissinger uh, is very proud; remains very proud of having uh, 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 murdered Salvador Allende. Uh, he is a war criminal, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, this is a a day that that also will live in infamy for the people of Chile. And for our own moral standard in the world, uh, uh, that coup d'etat is inexcusable. This piece that Steve is showing us uh, with the picture of uh, Henry Kissinger is a, a superb piece written today by Robert Reich. Uh, it's one of the best pieces actually I've ever read on Chile and the coup d'etat there. And I strongly urge everyone to Track down Robert Reich, the former uh, Secretary of Labor under the Clintons, um, uh, and what he has to say uh, about about the the, the Chilean coup of 1973. It's very, very worth reading. Um, Many great articles about that have also been published in the Progressive magazine. We're joined by the great uh, Norm Stockwell, who still has the best beard of anyone who's come on our our series here. Congratulations, Norm. Don't shave. Um, uh, I'll shave for you. I I will live for your sins. Um, uh, We are also going to have a great report from Organized Labor from the Pine Tree Alliance at the top of the hour at six o'clock Eastern time. We'll be joined by the great Reverend Art Waskow for 15 minutes, who's going to talk about uh, the uh, conjuncture of uh, uh, environmental and religious thinking. Uh, Art also has a piece out. I guess his son has been bar mitzvahed this week, so we will uh, congratulate him on that. Uh, we'll be joined by Steve Donziger in the second hour uh, to talk about um, Cop City and the RICO there, and Maya Van Rossen will talk to us about the great victory of the uh, of the kids in Montana on their federal lawsuit. So we have a lot to go. Uh, for this next two hours. I'm thrilled to be joined joining everybody. We have 39 people uh, to, at the get-go. And um, I also want to congratulate Myla Re, Reeson on her great new cartoon. I think that one wins the prize, at least so far, for the best of the series, that green um, um, uh, blob coming out of the nuclear power plant. Uh, so we will deal with, a little bit with nuclear today. We Do want to talk about uh, uh, Diablo Canyon and uh, the uh, the progress against nuclear power in general. But uh, let's start with Norm, as promised. Uh, I, I can't even begin to describe Norm Stockwell. <laughs> the insanity, as a historian, an American historian, I can safely say that there's never been a situation like this um, with a supreme Co- a state Supreme Court. And then we're gonna go to Steve um, Caruso to tell us what's going on in Ohio. Norm, can you describe for us, please, what's going on with the Supreme Court uh, and the legislature in Wisconsin?
1: Well, you're you're absolutely right, Harvey. It is, I think, unprecedented. And John Nichols had a great line. He talked about it as an Alice in Wonderland situation where the court that's supposed to interpret constitutional issues is having a constitutional crisis <laughs> of its own right now. Basically, the background here is that uh, in the last election, A judge from the Milwaukee area named Janet Protasewicz was elected in what is, uh, by all measures, in Wisconsin politics, a landslide. She won 55.5 to 44.5% of the vote. So she beat the opposing candidate, the Republican backed Dan Kelly. Uh, She beat him by. nearly 250,000 votes uh and uh, for you know for a Wisconsin election that's uh, that's considered certainly a landslide uh, majority and she was seated on August 1st has yet to really sit on any consequential case in fact the first case um that the court heard was last week. It was about whether or not uh, eviction notices could be uh, posted on a state website for a certain amount of time. That was the first case the court heard, but already the Republicans in the state legislature are urging that she should be impeached because they know that when the case regarding the state's gerrymandered election maps comes to the, um, the Supreme Court, that uh, right now the liberal majority on the court uh, is going to vote against those current maps. These are maps which were initially put in place in 2010 and then reinstituted in 2020, and which allowed the Republicans to have a two-thirds majority in the state legislature, even though in every single statewide race, governor Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, Secretary of State, State Treasurer, the Democrats have always won. So we have a state that's pretty firmly divided, and yet we have a state legislature that's uh, heavily weighted towards Republicans. Now, because they have a two-thirds majority in the state legislature, they can bring impeachment charges against this sitting justice of the Supreme Court it then would have to go to the Senate where the Senate would vote uh, just sort of like the same as happens at the national level. The Senate would hold a trial, and it's not quite clear what would happen there, although the Republicans do have the necessary two-thirds majority there, but it's not clear whether or not one of them would break ranks, in which case it would be enough to not convict her. However, any of this simply plays in their favor because it delays the opportunity for the court to consider these maps. So once that case is brought, which is it has not yet been brought to the court, but once that case is brought to the court and they have a certain amount of time to decide before we get too close to an election season uh, for a change to be made. So the Republicans are basically trying to, uh, I guess the football metaphor is run out the clock uh, so that they don't have their legislative majority threatened in the next election in 2024, so that's the that's basically the landscape that we're looking at um, here in Wisconsin right now.
2: A-
0: absolutely staggering, it's just mind-boggling. And and uh, hold on one sec, we got technical di- difficulty here.
3: So uh, did some judges already uh, turn down? an argument against the new bench judge uh, violating some kind of partisan law or something. I mean, it was not well-founded argument. But a...
1: Well, the, the argument that's being made by the um, Republicans in the state legislature is that because she was outspoken on the fact that the maps are rigged, which is actually, I don't think, a point of contention. I think that even the Republicans uh, have admitted in, uh, in public that they know that they rigged the maps and that they were successful in doing so. But because she said that during the campaign... These uh, legislative Republicans are arguing that she should recuse herself from any case involving the MAPS. Now there's another case here in Wisconsin that also will uh, be coming up and that's the Wisconsin State uh, 1849 anti-abortion law. And similarly, during the campaign, Justice Protosewitz, now Justice Protosewitz, then Judge uh declared that she was pro-choice. And so in that case, they're also going to try and force her to recuse herself. Now, basically, um, by recusing herself in either of these cases, it would end up leaving a split court. And so then no decision would be made in both those cases. So that's why this is really um, a very important issue. And the other thing that's that's at play here is simply the current rules allow a justice to decide whether or not they should recuse themselves and in the past republican leaning justices it's supposedly a nonpartisan court but of course republican leaning justices on the court have not recused themselves when they've considered issues that uh that they have a political uh affinity towards so i think that you know historically uh What's good for the goose is good for the gander. The Republicans, <laughs> uh, the Republicans are not playing by the same rules that they're trying to uh, force uh, newly installed Justice Prosewitz to play by.
0: Well, uh, refresh my memory, don't we in the uh, uh, course of uh, uh, putting uh, people on the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court have a hearing where they're supposed to declare what they actually stand for?
1: Uh, well, that's the U.S. Supreme Court. This is the uh, Wisconsin State Supreme Court where the seats are elected by a popular vote. And again, Justice Protosawitz was elected uh, by a, uh, a resounding majority, an 11% majority In the popular vote. So I think that voters knew what they were getting when they voted for this judge. I want to um, introduce uh, a special guest that we have joining us uh, on the phone also from Wisconsin. Uh, Chuck Kuala is an attorney who served in the Wisconsin legislature for 12 years and then uh, 20 years in the state Senate. Uh, including three terms as the uh, Senate majority leader and was a Democratic candidate for governor in 1994. And he's been following these issues very, very closely. And the Democrats in the state of Wisconsin have actually launched a, uh, a campaign to raise public awareness about these issues. And, and Chuck has some updates for us on that, I think.
0: Chuck, go for it, please. Good to have you with us.
1: Uh, and I think- yeah, yeah, we need to unmute it here. We need to unmute Chuck.
0: So it's an astonishing situation, and of course, the Republicans have made it very clear that they'll do anything to stay in power. They realize in Wisconsin that if they if they don't hold on to this gerrymandered map, that they will not have the uh, control of the legislature anymore. As you've pointed out, that's what this is obviously about. Chuck, go ahead.
4: Um.
5: The, uh, there is some breaking news on this, as uh, CNN would like to say. Uh, earlier this afternoon, just today, uh, a couple of attorneys filed a, a motion for you know, imposition of a temporary restraining order against uh, the Assembly to prevent them from impeaching protosewas. The basis for that, as I understand it, I've, I've tried to look at it briefly before we get on here, uh, they're saying, and this is tr- from my reading, it's true, that the Wisconsin Constitution, although it allows the assembly to impeach, it, it, it says you can only do so for three reasons, crimes, misdemeanors, or corruption. And nothing that's been alleged here that I can see would rise anywhere close to that level, especially after, as was just pointed out by Norm, after you get a, a, an 11% margin in an election less than six months ago. So the bottom line is, if if this Supreme Court can act with Justice protus it seems to me that the Assembly should be prevented from doing this. If they can't, democracy is basically gone because this means that the already gerrymandered Assembly would simply be able to impeach with impunity anyone who disagrees with them in the Supreme Court, and that would allow them to have a continuing majority for as long as As things go on, it would take something crazy to happen for them to be out. So I expect that there's a good chance that either this proposal or others similar to that that I expect to see from other attorneys will result in the assembly not being able to move forward with impeachment or if or if they do so, that it will be invalid. Because at the end of the day, who is able to speak about the meaning of the Constitution at the end? Who is the ultimate authority for that? that's the Wisconsin Supreme Court and it's been a bane for for democrats and progressives because that's allowed them to say oh we will adopt a least changes approach to the most gerrymandered districts in the country and we will use that as our basis for deciding and the supreme court said yep you get to go with those gerrymandered districts now that protosevic has run a one a race by a, by a, a landslide I think that you're going to see this change very quickly, and you'll see new maps next year. You'll see ProtoSewitz acting, and I think the Assembly will not be allowed to do this.
0: Well, as my mother used to say, from, from your lips to God's ears, um, um, we have a parallel situation, a similar situation in Ohio. Uh, again, it involves gerrymandering and in the, Ohio, in the uh, state Supreme Court. Uh, Steve Caruso, our man um, in, in Ohio, can you tell us What's going on in Ohio and what the parallels are, Norm? Did you want to say something quick? Uh,
1: yeah, before before you go to that, I just I think it's also worth noting this this public campaign that um, Ben Wickler and the Democratic Party of Wisconsin have initiated. They put four million dollars into a campaign of public education because they want to make sure that people in the state of Wisconsin understand these issues and understand what the legislature is trying to do. It's really a uh, you know a bold grab at democracy. And Harvey, you introduced the program today by mentioning the uh, the coup that took place in Chile uh, 50 years ago. And while this is not anywhere near as violent as that situation, it certainly is a case where the Republican Party of Wisconsin is trying to initiate a coup against democracy in the state of Wisconsin and unseat a democratically elected leader, uh, in this case, Judge uh, Janet
0: Yes and of course we know we, we have a governor in Florida now who's just uh, arbitrarily removing um, uh, elected officials there too. So this is a uh, this is not just happening in Wisconsin and let's hear from Steve Caruso. Steve, you want to tell yep. us
3: what's going on in Ohio? Yeah, Oberon set that standard up now everybody's going to follow his lead, right? All the right-wing states and the 147 people who pushed forward January 6th and that whole debacle in Ohio they uh, dropped the lawsuit, actually, the redistricting pro folks against in the Supreme Court because they've got more seats now than they had before. They've got 10 Republicans against five Democrats, which isn't great because the split should be a lot different than that because of past voting. So they dropped this lawsuit, but they're trying to get on the ballot in 2024. I think recently it was turned down by the ballot board. Uh, new redistricting commission that's comprised of not politicians but people of the state. So we're looking forward to that coming. Hopefully, we won't have an August next election next year. <laughs> I don't think. That's well, we did.
0: We, we just did, we did just win, and we had um, um, uh, uh, people on from Ohio to discuss the fact that the voters of Ohio, in a, in a unique, rare August uh, referendum, turned down. The idea that a referendum now has to be decided by sixty percent, so we're still at fifty percent in Ohio. But uh, what is going to happen to the maps, uh, Steve, in, um, in in Ohio, uh, based on this this fight? And what's the parallel to
3: Wisconsin? Well, they're gonna they're gonna stay with the map till twenty twenty four because that's what the Constitution says, apparently, unless something changes in the meantime. Um, So we have a terribly gerrymandered map in Ohio that we're going to have to live with. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Ten ten to five. Ten Republicans to five Democrats. So what's going to happen at at this point with that? It's hard to say. They're trying to get this commission, new commission in as an amendment to the Constitution in 2024. Uh, There's still a lawsuit by the Democrats going on. So. Where that at is at, I don't know right now, but uh, there are a republic is a republican dominated Supreme Court who the, the u s Supreme Court says that they can rule on the constitutionality. Now what they're going to do, we don't know at this point, but the u s. Supreme Court said that the Ohio Supreme Court needs to make a decision. So what that is, I don't know, is it going to get people in the streets? we can well, the Ohio get-
0: Supreme Court made a decision. Um, when the Republican um, um, chief justice went with the with the democracy side and threw out the maps uh, that had gerrymandered the Ohio legislature and the, the Republicans uh, played games with it and managed to not uh, replace this gerrymandered map. And so it's still in place and we still have a supermajority in the Ohio legislature, even though like Wisconsin, the state is split. Um, Norm, have you, have you people and in, in, in Chuck in, in Wisconsin been following the Ohio situation?
5: That and North Carolina, there are just so many places where Congress has been uh, just terribly gerrymandered, and the Ohio example is one of the more extreme. Uh, of course, you've all heard about the Alabama situation, too, and how they wouldn't even respond to this relatively conservative Supreme Court In Wisconsin, in addition to having this have an impact on state Senate and state assembly races, in Wisconsin, there will actually probably be a pickup of two congressional seats if not overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court, because the third congressional district and the first congressional district will be turned into competitive seats that we expect if there's a reasonable year, Democrats will win. So you'll go from having a 6 2 split in a 50 50 state where Governor Evers, a Democrat, just won by 3.4 percent, you will see that turned from six Republicans and two Democrats to probably four Democrats and four Republicans. But Ohio is an extreme example, and it's it's just a disturbing example of what they're doing across the country, which really makes it hard for us to win back a majority in the House of Representatives.
0: This all dates, by the way, to, uh, well, of course, it dates back to 1812 when uh, uh, Elbridge Gerry, the governor of Massachusetts, pioneered gerrymandering. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's called gerrymandering because Jerry, Governor Jerry, who became uh, vice president actually, um, set up the uh, districts in Massachusetts to favor his party, the Jeffersonian, and and a, a, a commentator said that the districts looked like salamanders, and that's where how we wound up with the term gerrymander. Uh, but um, uh, the situation in Ohio involves uh, also two, three, four congressional seats, but the Republicans have managed to completely evade without um, um, impeaching a Supreme Court justice. Um, uh, and there she is. Uh, uh, her name is Maureen O'Connor. Uh, she, uh, 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 as a Republican, actually sided uh, against the Republicans. And now she's out. We have a, a an age term limit in Ohio of 70 for Supreme Court justices. And she was termed out, but she apparently is a private citizen still fighting um, uh, for uh, reasonable uh, districts, we have a hand, and then we're going to have to wrap, and we're going to move on about to to Aaron and labor issues, and and, and then uh, we're going to talk about the Pine Tree Alliance. Uh, David Gurin, do you have something to, you you want to jump in with, real quick? Uh, David, are you unmuted? Let's unmute you. Uh, okay, um, let's. Here we go. wait. wait. There, okay, David, go. <laughs>
6: David, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, please. Okay, so um, let me, some of the details you got wrong, okay? First, uh, for the congressional maps, the the plaintiffs, the League of Women Voters and uh, Common Cause dropped their suit because they were concerned with the, Change in the uh, 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 the state supreme court where there's more Republicans, along with our uh, obnoxious Republicans that that, that uh, have a, a huge supermajority. That when they redid the, the congressional maps for this year, that it might be even worse. Um, but they're still going to fight it later on with the uh, with amendment. Uh, that Maureen O'Connor is is pushing for to uh, have an independent commission, totally in, independent of any politician, uh, do the uh, redistricting. You're talking but, about
0: Ohio, is that right, right David? Yeah, it's yeah. All, he's talking, all that's
6: Ohio.
0: pretty much what I said. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, so that's pretty much what Steve said. Do you have anything to, to add here? Well, well,
6: wait, wait, wait. Though for the uh, state maps, though, uh, uh, that's actually going going back to the redistricting committee. And it's still in process uh, to redo those maps.
3: In Ohio. Well, they're they're going to start Wednesday to... Changed the General Assembly for Ohio, so like the state legislatures and so forth. So I, I don't see anything coming up. If you've got something, please share. Yeah. Well, listen, we
0: that. have Dennis Bernstein on the on the call. Dennis is the great host of the Flashpoint Show, nationally syndicated out of KPFA in Berkeley. Um, and Norm, you being the publisher of uh, one of the most influential magazines in the country maybe it will be good to have a comprehensive, if you haven't done it already, a comprehensive look at these uh, legislature slash state Supreme Court slash U.S. battles uh, on on redistricting. This all dates to 2010 uh, when the Red Map coup happened, when uh, Obama was comfortably ensconced in the uh, Oval Office and didn't pay attention to any of this. And there's a great book out whose name I can't Fully uh, um, uh, say it's called R A T F dot dots U C K E D, and then uh, that was the, the explanation of how this gerrymandering coup engineered by Karl Rove and uh, and the nurse Nixon dirty tricksters completely um, you know um, uh, changed the nature of the state legislatures of the country. Um, uh, Norm, do you have a uh, thank you for that, David Gurin from Ohio. Norm, do you have a, an overview to add to us, and maybe? Yeah, that, maybe well,
1: I, I wanted I wanted actually to um, to throw this to Chuck and just talk about since we're on a national call here. What are some ways that people? outside the state of Wisconsin can, uh, can get involved in this issue and uh, and show their support for, uh, for keeping democracy in this important swing state that, uh, you know, may very well be pivotal in the 2024 election and could have, with one vote changed on the Supreme Court, um, uh, gone the other way for uh, Donald Trump in 2020.
5: Yeah, Wisconsin is is kind of a, the tipping point in the country. Uh, we were one of the few places in the country where Trump got any traction. Three of the Supreme Court justices in Wisconsin were ready to entertain his idea that he should be able to win in Wisconsin despite having lost the popular vote. And that's the real danger that we have of really losing our democracy and that's what's going on here. So anytime you can do something, I think anytime you can write to people whether it's Robin Voss or Governor Evers, I think it, you have to really be stay engaged and stay involved. And frankly, sadly, I'm an attorney. I wish we didn't have to do this with attorneys, but if you have Supreme Courts that are more sympathetic, you do that. The Republicans are realizing they are acting on all fronts, whether it's at the U.S. Supreme Court level, at the state Supreme Court level, at g- legislative gerrymandering, they are everywhere. We have to be as vigilant and as focused on this as they are right to your congressman, right to your governors, right to your Supreme, even your Supreme Court representatives, because everything is at stake. And Wisconsin could be in a situation where if Janet Protasiewicz is impeached, the Republicans could take over. And no matter who wins the election next year, Donald Trump will claim that he won.
0: Well, I think uh, we should strike a bargain here. And uh, uh, the Chief the Justice Pasewicz should agree to recuse herself if Alito and Thomas will recuse themselves for any, from any decision um, involving someone on whose private plane uh, they flew across the country. Uh, what do you think? You think that'll fly?
5: My, anyway, my wife, let, let's see if we can make that one happen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I dare, don't think
1: went. I don't think that'll I don't think that'll solve our problems in uh <laughs> in Wisconsin or for the country, unfortunately. But uh yeah. Uh, there's certainly issues at the U.S. Supreme Court, which are which are very different and very important to uh, to take a look at. Um, this Wisconsin issue is uh, is extremely important nationwide, at the local level as well as at the national level, and so that's why we really wanted to talk about it today.
0: Well, what we know, what we we we, know, we have the same, similar fights going on in Florida, North Carolina, Alabama, Ohio.
3: Uh, What am I? Who am I missing here?
7: Texas. Uh, So,
3: a minimum amount of ballots were pushed away and got Trump in office. And that's from Greg Palace. He pointed that out in 2016. If they weren't messing with the ballots and plus the redistricting, we wouldn't have had Trump torture for four years. Well, that was basically, yes, you're right.
0: Basically, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Um, and Michigan were up for grabs there. And and Joe Stein, God lover, went in and caught pneumonia fighting the tooth and nail and was still being trashed by the Democrats. Uh, Dennis Bernstein, um, our great talk host here from KPFA in Berkeley. Uh, Do you want to jump in? I'm trying to get you unmuted. We have 60 people on the call. Go ahead. Oh, God. Hold on, you're muted still.
3: You had to click on the left side where it says
0: ask. Oh, uh, I got All right, it. There
8: you go. <laughs> I did it. I did it. You got us. Um, <laughs> and
0: Aaron and, and Lucy will get to you in a couple of minutes. Okay. Stay put, please. All
8: right. Well, I'm just here, uh, appreciating the information, but uh, I would put this forward. I'd be willing to play if there are any volunteers who love to do little technical uh operations. I'd love to play a 10 or 15 minute weekly Jerry watch call it. Uh, the latest uh, uh, outrageous in taking away people's votes. And, you know, I really, I don't, I can't do that piece. and continue to do my show, but if there's somebody who loves this subject and who's dying to do it, I'd put uh you know, I'd love to get a fierce, Ten or fifteen minutes of this is what happened to your vote this week, uh, <laughs> and we you now we have a bunch of listeners now. So yeah, um, well it's, it's it's Monday.
0: Do you know where your vote is <laughs> yeah. exactly. or where your something registration like that? Is. We'll
8: have a nice little sound button: big your... ding, big ding, big ding. Paper palette yeah. that was rejected. Yeah, you know, and it should be honestly, it would be great if somebody was a bit theatrical, and you know, gets to have a little joy as we. Educate ourselves and find well,
0: Dennis, put your um, email in the chat. And uh, Dennis is a, a truly great talk host. And I, it's an offer that you shouldn't refuse. It'd be a great slot for the
3: progressive. Somebody
8: out there is waiting to do that, I'm sure. It'd well, be a
3: great,
0: a great slot for
8: somebody. it would be good uh, too. We and we do it. things like that all the time. And Harry the Shearer, team. man. Harry Shearer. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, um, Norm,
0: um, uh, Chuck, and, and uh, Steve, do you have anything? To throw in before we on move on to the labor movement with Aaron Norm,
1: thank you very much. Well, you Everybody guys through.
0: are great. We want to keep on keep on top of this, um, and we will. We we we've done a ton on gerrymandering, obviously, as our roots are in election protection. Uh, the, this is an outrageous situation, and we'll see if these Republicans are crazy enough to try and do this. Uh, Wisconsin is not a state to take this kind of thing lying down, as we all know. So. Um, I'm sure Bob Lafollette is going to return and, and, and smite uh, these these heathens. So uh, keep up the good fight. Chuck, yeah, you hey know fight. next year.
1: Next year is the 100th anniversary of Bob LaFollette's campaign for president of the United States, where he got one out of every six votes in the country as an independent third party candidate. So uh, look for some special coverage and a conference that we're doing about that here in Madison. And always check out our website, progressive.org, for updates on all of these issues, both in Wisconsin and around the country.
0: Yeah, and Progressive is actually the first magazine that ever published an article by me uh, after I was on the Michigan Daily back in 1967. So thank you guys uh, for launching my career. Uh, and it, this has been a great segment. We will do this. I'll add Dennis, we will do this on a regular basis, obviously. And um, this is one of those things that you, you couldn't make it up. If you said a year ago that the Wisconsin legislature would try and impeach, a Supreme Court justice for refusing to gerrymander the state man, that would be a stress, but here we are. Okay, you guys. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you so uh, much. Uh a Chuck and Norm. Oh uh, and Dennis, of course, uh, uh Dennis, put if you'll put your email in the chat, that would be great. We're gonna move now to the uh Myla, labor movement. Aaron, uh is for a this? quick
3: question for, huh? so-
9: I I just, uh, Harvey, I just wanted to say that I had promised Lucy, who's given up um, some other responsibilities for phone banking, that she would be on early in the hour to talk about Pine Tree Power. I'm wondering. Okay,
0: Aaron, can you stay with us and and let Lucy go ahead? You all right? You're good with that? Okay, Lucy, please, um, uh, can you uh, pronounce your last name for us and and then uh, tell us what you're about?
10: Yeah, it's a doozy, Lucy Hawkshartner. uh, I'm the deputy campaign manager with Pine Tree Power Campaign in Maine. So I live in Portland, Maine, and we are a campaign looking to entirely replace our two investor-owned utilities here in the state of Maine uh, and replace it with a public power authority. Uh, It's a really exciting campaign, the most important climate election in this off-off year. Uh, Really excited about it. We have a vote on November 7th, so we're kind of barreling down toward election day. As Milo is saying, I'm headed to a phone bank after this, but uh, just some more information about this uh, is that this would be the first statewide consumer-owned utility. Uh, Nebraska also has entirely public power, but it's broken up into a little bit smaller chunks than they did it in the 30s and 40s. And what's really exciting about this proposal is that here in Maine, the status is absolutely not working. It's a huge economic justice, a huge uh, climate justice issue. We have two utilities that are both owned by foreign corporations. uh, And in 2022, they made $187 million in profit and then came back. Yeah, (laughs) it's really bad. Came back in the beginning of this year, both got 20% rate hikes, sent out 94,000 disconnection notices, which is you know, sounds like a lot, um, but in Maine, it's even more than you would think because we're a pretty small state. So that's disconnection notices to over 10% of their customers. Um, we have the most frequent outages of any state in the country and the worst customer satisfaction. So I know folks in California, you guys really hate pg and as you should. Um, Mainers actually hate CMP, Central Maine Power uh worse, worse than worse than PGE. P- um, so we are really excited for the opportunity here. It's a winnable campaign because of how much Mainers hate their utilities. And um, it's really going to be transformational for the climate. We have two utilities right now, CMP and P- Versant, that are the biggest anti-climate lobbyists in the state, um, as are many investor-owned utilities across the country. And with this, we could be voting them out entirely. We'd also be setting ourselves up for a grid that would just be far better set up for the kinds of clean energy and distributed energy that we need. Uh, CMP and Versant, as investor owned utilities, any money they put into the, the grid has to get an 8 to 12% return back for shareholders. Consumer owned or public power authorities qualify for very low interest rates. Um, So all of this build out of the grid that needs to happen at this moment, uh, at this junction that we're basically in, um, we need a huge investment in the grid for solar, for electrification, for wind, Um, that will all happen far cheaper with a consumer-owned utility And that is going to be absolutely crucial both for Maine, but if we win here in Maine, it will make things like this doable across the country. So we really see ourselves as being able to go first because we have such hated utilities, um, but are really excited to see what happens after. And really, there's no reason to oppose this. Uh, It's being, it's being opposed by just two donors, the parent company of Versant, the utility in far North Maine, and the parent company of CMP, which is kind of broader Southern Maine, Um, Avangrid and Enmax. They both also own gas companies and both are owned by foreign entities. Uh, They have so far put $27 million into their campaign, which is just crazy. Um, we, have, we have five staff at the moment and are running a true grassroots effort. We have phone banks, we have small dollar donors. If you are at all interested, yes. Uh, Mila has put my, my uh, information in the chat and I'm happy to answer any questions or get folks involved. The other thing I'd say is that this is the most important climate election this year. We've you know, passed some big climate legislation at the national level. And now the fight is moving to the utility companies to actually implement some of those those measures from the Inflation Reduction Act. And we have seen that investor-owned utilities do not cooperate. They simply exist to make a profit. Um, We need consumer-owned utilities. This is the way to do it. And we're looking to raise $5,000 by the end of the night. Um, with a lot of small dollar donations. And if you're at all interested, I'll throw a link in the chat. Um, And then my information is above as well, but happy to answer any questions too.
0: So Lucy, if you, this is a referendum, right? A statewide referendum. This is
10: a referendum. So straight majority vote. If we win a yes on question three on November 7th, this happens. We have transformed Maine's utilities. We've transformed the grid here in Maine.
0: So what happens is the state take over ownership of the utility?
10: That's a great question. We have a pretty interesting model with the Pine Tree Power campaign. Um, So what would happen with a yes vote is that we immediately create a new independent nonprofit utility company called the Pine Tree Power Company, separate from the state of Maine, but with public elections. So all Mainers, similar to a co-op, Mainers would own the grid. Um, Dissimilar from a co-op, all voters would get a vote rather than just utility customers.
0: Wow. And uh, well, we assume, of course, that when you win, uh, that it will go to the Supreme Court. And that'll be, an. is there a precedent for this? We know that, as you said, Nebraska has public power. There are public power districts all over the country um, uh, which produce power cheaper, cleaner, safer and more reliably than the IOUs, the investor-owned utilities, um, but um, um, I'm assuming that you're anticipating a court battle once you win.
10: Yeah, that's a great question. The really exciting thing about utilities is that they're different than other corporations. They're you know, a monopoly that we've legally granted and we can take it away. So this bill started in the legislature before becoming a ballot referendum actually passed with bipartisan support before being vetoed by our governor. But during that process, uh, it was studied by our PUC and the consultants they commissioned, cleared as fully constitutional. So this is really an exciting moment. I mean, I have no doubt that the utilities will try and play dirty and do what they can to stop us. Um, But there's truly, when we win, not much recourse that they have. This has happened elsewhere these kinds of takeovers. Some great examples I'm seeing in the chat, Florida's jealous. Winter Park, Florida, which is a small town in Florida, um, did this and, and had massive success. So it has happened elsewhere.
0: Fantastic. I also put, want to point out that, uh, Maine, uh, shut, uh, Maine Yankee, um, uh, a couple of decades ago, I believe it was one of the <laughs> first to, to shut. And we, we congratulate you that, on that. Uh, John Steiner, you've got a hand. Do you want to ask Lucy a question?
8: Yeah, Lucy, you have kind of alluded to the answer to this, but I'm curious where Congresswoman Pingray and
0: Senator King are on this issue. That's
10: a great question. So neither of them have taken a position. If you'd like them to, feel free to give them a call. Um, right now, the only one who has taken a position is, is Senator Bernie Sanders, and he has come out in support of this proposal, which we're very excited about. Um, we have been both in and out of the state a huge number of climate groups looking to get involved in this. Um, So Bill McKibben and 350.org, the Sierra Club, they've all gotten involved. And then Bernie as well. Uh, And a lot of the youth climate groups in Maine are really excited about this proposal, really thinking about their economic futures and their climate futures. Um, I've just talked to so many folks, we get emails through our website every day with people who owe our utility companies, you know, Thirteen thousand dollars—things that are just absolutely impossible to get out from underneath—and so it's it's a huge economic justice and climate justice issue, which has really mobilized a lot of young people. So,
0: how like many people you're, live you're in Maine. Maine? How many how, how many people live in Maine? How many do you expect to vote in this referendum?
10: Yeah. So. um Live in Maine is, is over a million. This being an off-off year, I would guess that turnout turnout in 2021 was around 37%. I'm expecting, you know, somewhere between 400 450,000 votes. So this is really a winnable race, a small amount of money, um, you know, a small comparatively number of phone calls, door knocks, uh, really can go the distance here.
0: All right. So you should be in touch with uh, Andrea Miller. Uh, uh, who's who's been on our calls and Ray McClendon. I think Ray is with us actually to get deep into the grassroots organizing that these, yeah, Ray is with us, Ray, you wanna chime in? Uh, Ray is in Georgia with a brand new grassroots organization. Uh, chime in on the mechanics of grassroots organizing. These are the, Ray, Ray and Andrea uh, among others were uh, uh, instrumental in the Georgia miracle in 2020 and 21. Uh, and they they basically wrote the book on this level of grassroots organizing that that with maximizing uh, every dollar you spend. Ray, do you want to chime in with some sage advice here? <laughs> uh,
3: well, I think what, what I've heard so far is great and uh, it's absolutely a vital campaign and I the critical thing that it sounds like to me is to get the messaging out to uh, how uh, what you're proposing, And the paradigm shift there in terms of climate and energy would do directly to their pocketbooks to uh, uh, save the the, uh, consumers and slash voters uh, money to uh, convert to the type of of, uh, authority that you're looking to do. That's what we found is is very helpful here when you can personalize the direct contribution uh, to, to the voters uh, it'll have a much greater profound impact on, on their interest in getting out to vote. Excellent, Ray. Um, uh, if you'll put your
0: contact in chat, uh, Lucy, I, I strongly suggest you uh, get a session with Ray and Andrea to talk about the, the mechanics of grassroots organizing. Nobody knows it better than they do. And I'm, I'm one, well, I'll go to my one in one sec. Uh, uh, Lucy, is there a a plan in place to convert Maine to hundred percent green energy?
10: That's a great question. So what the situation is now, Maine has a great climate plan that does include, you know, a renewable portfolio standard and, and has plans to move to clean energy. The problem is, is that our investor owned utilities are not cooperating, cooperating. And so in the mandate of the pine tree power proposal and the new utility is that they have to actually be working with the state of Maine to meet those climate goals that they already have, which is really exciting.
0: Okay, very good. Myla, we'll we'll call you. If anybody else wants to jump in on this, raise your hand and then we're gonna go to the- to Aaron and the labor movement. Go, go ahead, Myla.
9: And and I just noticed that Lynn Feinerman also raised her hand. Um, oh, all but, right. Um, uh, not her virtual hand, but I, I saw you <laughs> signal. Okay. Um, at any rate, I, I just want to thank you, Lucy, for coming on. This is really exciting. And I hope you'll come back and definitely network with uh, Ray McClendon and Andrea Mitchell. And uh, I think that's really important. But I wanted to ask you, I, I think I I read a um, an article in The Intercept. And um, it talked about Democratic Party uh, uh, consultants who were working for the big utility companies that happened to be owned, it seems, or by the, the country of Qatar. Is that correct? And, um, and <laughs> a big hedge fund or the BlackRock or investment group. And I wonder if you can just expand on, on that a little bit. And, and, and specifically, I'm wondering whether Democratic uh, mainstream corporate Democratic uh, politicians in the state of Maine have somehow been opposing your grassroots effort.
10: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So yes, you are exactly correct. Uh, I think the article you're you're referring to is probably in Jacobin or The Lever um, did this great piece on, you know, that I'm happy to drop in the chat about the Democratic campaign because consultants that are working against this referendum. Um, I just dropped it in the chat. But yes, our two utility companies, Versant, which is very rural, down east, northern Maine, Um, that is owned by NMAX, which is wholly owned by the city of Calgary. So the rates that people in Maine pay go to funding, uh, the dividends go to funding the city of Calgary's budget. And then we have central Maine power, which is owned by Avangrid, which is a U.S. holding company, a subsidiary of the global, like multinational corporation, Iberdrola, which is based in Spain. Their primary shareholders are the sovereign wealth funds of Qatar, Norway, and then Blackrock Investments. Um, so it's just really, everyone has their hands in there and it's not working for me and it's working for shareholders. Um, and the campaign consultant, you know, there are people triple dipping, uh, their campaign manager, his name is literally Willie Rich. Um, and he, <laughs> he makes 14 and a half thousand dollars a month. His, uh, partner is also on the payroll as is his consulting firm. And so people have really shown a willingness to sell out. Um, and that I think is, it really great job um, exposing this in the article, but really it's just that these companies are wanting to protect their profits. And I think that's what we've seen over and over.
0: Okay, uh, uh, what else is new? <laughs> um, uh, thank you for that. Um, I wanna, we'll go to Lynn and then we wanna go to Aaron, uh, who's been ma- waiting very patiently. Um, um, uh, Lynn Feinerman, go ahead. Are you unmuted? I wanna suggest maybe, um, Lynn, Lucy, that you get in touch with uh, Wendy, um, and if we can set up a Zoom call between you and Ray and Andrea uh, to talk about how, how the organizing could go. Uh, Ray, if you'd be willing to participate in such a Zoom, that would probably be very, very helpful uh, to make some great connections, okay? But we're all for you here. Lynn, did you wanna say something?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to say a little thing. Um, uh, Women Wrestling radio profiled Ursula Sladek, who won the Goldman Environmental Prize because she and her town took over their electric grid, and now they provide sustainable, clean, non-nuclear energy all over Germany. So for all we know, Maine could be the new... We could be next.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so if you can uh, connect... If you can put that in the chat, Lynn, and and Lynn has a great radio show, Lucy, maybe you guys could connect on that. That'd be great. Lucy, it's been great to have you on. We will have you back. uh, Thanks so
10: much. I'll throw my info in the chat and anyone should feel free to reach out.
0: Okay. Thank you. And it's Hawk Shartner. Is that right?
10: Hawk Shartner. Yes. Very German. That's a
0: great name. We love it. Uh, And uh, uh, of course, we also love Lucy. So if you're in the sky with diamonds, we'll be glad to have you back. Thank you so much. (laughs) Okay.
10: Thank
0: you so much, everybody. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron, uh, we're, thank you so much for waiting. Uh, we've got 57 people on waiting to hear you. Uh, you're with the labor movement. You've got good trouble going. Tell us all about it.
11: I mean, we got a lot of things going on, but a public utility is exciting because that could be the future of organizing between the blue and green alliances, right? Like, that's, that's big news if we get it pulled off. Uh, uh, I have, want to point I, out,
0: by the way, Aaron, that of all the people that have been on this call, you have the best radio voice. So keep going there, please.
11: That's uh, that's what a few people tell me, including my former professor here. Uh, Okay, well, go uh, for uh, it. Let's hear it. But, you know, this last week, um, this last month, rather, I've seen a lot of uh, changes at the NLRB, uh, including the Joyce Silk Doctrine has been revived. Um, Work rules now have to be narrowly tailored. Uh, It turns out that bosses can't just create work rules. They have to uh, still allow free association. And the rights protected under the First Amendment, the rest of the Constitution. Um, that was an I.B.T. case that did that. By the way, for the Teamsters, um, C.M.E.X. came out uh, basically if an employer uh, commits a U.L.P. during. Um, What's uh, a U.L.P.? It's an unfair labor practice. So, okay. an unfair labor practice is a breach of an affirmative duty at law by an employer to refrain from doing something or to uh, affirmatively do something, which is engage bargaining, um, recognize a union. Um, so many things could be an unfair labor practice. So it comes from the National Labor Relations Act and wherever an employer breaches those uh, protections or rights afforded to both unions and workers, they commit a ULP. Um, And if they commit a ULP during an election, then they get a bargaining order now. It's automatically certified straight to negotiations. This is a huge change in labor relations. And as uh, much as I'm not a fan of the National Labor Relations Act, I love that this board is finally getting it together and trying at least on a regulatory process and framework uh, to move things along, to be more worker friendly. It used to be the National Business Relations Board, for yeah. uh, many, many uh, cycles there. And then for right line, uh, the right line case, which is for many of us in the, the labor law world, it was called the wrong line there for a little bit because they mucked up what it meant. But long story short, if uh, you're engaged in protected concerted activity, which is two or more of you working together, we're going to talk about a union. Um, we're want to talk about your pay. I'm going to talk about benefits of protecting each other through mutual aid. Um, you know, now you don't have to go jump through all these hoops. There's only three elements you have to meet. Um, when the board tried to clarify it in 2019, um, they ended up creating a lot of confusion. So this new board um, finally went after one of the most confusing topics in labor law. And I know this might sound boring, but I posted a lot of stuff that's going on in the labor movement as well. Um, So everybody can kind of see it. So we'll start from the top. Um, Teamsters over in Wisconsin. uh, Strike at Leinenkubel. Something maybe somebody's familiar with. It's Leinenkubel. It's a drink. It won. This was this last uh, week or so. Uh, In Michigan, the right to work law was struck down. Uh, That's
0: that's a very big deal. That's a really big
11: deal. deal. Huge deal. I'm a uh, large proponent of just cause. I don't think that we should. I don't think anybody should be able to. Um, work without a, an employment contract, I think you should know those terms and they should be in front of you. Right to work is a farce um, and it was invented pretty much overnight after the agrarian shift to an industrial society uh, by Horace Wood. Um, so long story short, um, the next one is the UAW and this big three strike authorization. Uh, the contract expires uh, at midnight on nine fourteen. Um, Ford and some others, I guess, just looking at the news real quick, um, started sending in more offers um and i believe their leadership has told them time and time again um, these aren't good enough now what's interesting is that article i posted there's going to be a bottleneck in the police cars and the police actual uh uh, ability to manufacture the police cars because they won't have workers if they go on strike (laughs) so annually speaking police cars are
0: bicycles
11: hey right I like that idea. You get act- actually get out there to that community-oriented policing that they claim they That's do. right. They're shooting us and beating us with sticks and macing us. Um, and then you have the pilots, Southwest uh, and the whole rest of the industry. Entire, in fact, the entire airline industry, if you look at it as a whole, is pissed off and they're ready to strike. And it comes down to the skeleton crews and a lot of these weird rules um, that airlines and different stakeholders are putting in place uh, to run skeleton, small, absolute minimum crews. Uh, to maximize their profits, and they're making record profits right now. And if anybody has flown on here, you know how miserable that has been in these last year, two years. Um, so, you know, the, the real problem with the flight industry is that they're not listening to their unions. Um, and I think that our sister, Sarah Nelson, uh, is probably one of the best advocates for the working class um, and has has emphasized time and time again that if we want to change shit, we need to strike shit. And that's where well, the you line. go. Um, and then the Florida teachers, they're under assault. You actually have an organizer uh, from the uh, United Teachers of Dade that are here, um, uh, Carolina Ampudia, Dr. Ampudia, I should add. And the bottom line is this we're under assault everywhere. The right to strike is under assault, the right to protest is under assault. We have people in Tampa that got arrested by DeSantis as uh, special armed guards down there for protesting several months back. We have people in Atlanta that have been indicted for protesting. And if you read that indictment from Cop City, I mean, it is extremely strung together, loosely put together uh, narratives to try to fit this group of people together that are just activists, it appears, um, and then a group that maybe not be uh, activists. But my whole point being is that the tenuous nature of um, causation needed for, it, especially in that case in Georgia, um, it relied on its new RICO statute. Which was past well, We're going
0: to have uh, Steve uh, Donziger is going to come with us uh, toward the second half of the second hour. If you want to stick with us, and he'll talk talk about that. He's he's very familiar with Rico, and of course, yeah.
11: Well, that's that's so. One of the things I wanted to point out is you know the environmental movement and the labor movement. We're very closely tied together because let's face it, activist circles are activist circles. We plug in where we can, um, and a lot of people on here. When I was on the show last time, reached out, they had questions about how to organize, where to go. Happy to answer those wherever you are if you want to send them to me in the chat. Um, it's pretty straightforward. If anybody has any questions right now or any comments, I'd love to hear them. But the labor movement overall, it's good trouble. Um, we're writing a lot of contracts where I am, and I know that uh, likewise a ton of other unions are too. Um, and we're doing it in a united fashion. It's probably in my lifetime. And I'm the fifth generation of unionists in my family. Wow. In my lifetime, this is the only time I've ever seen the labor movement working together, lockstep. We used to fight each other all the time, and now that's not happening.
0: Well, uh, if you'll wall. send me your email, I'll send you a copy of my uh, "People's Spiral of U.S. History," uh, where as Tatanka Bricker, who's sitting in his car, can testify. Uh, we talk a lot about Eugene V. Debs and the Socialist Labor Movement. We just had, you know, uh, people from Wisconsin are familiar with. Uh, Robert Lafollette. So this is a big deal. Uh, we want to have you back on pretty regularly, Aaron. It's, we, you know, the labor movement has not gotten uh, the attention from the progressive movement in this country that it really deserves. And I'm really glad to hear you, you saying what you're saying. That's that's really about solidarity in the union movement, because it, it has been hard to come by, boy, as you well know.
11: And Harvey, you're right. I mean, it's it's impossible to fight if we don't have each other's backs. Exactly if our dick wasn't covered. Guess what? I mean, somebody from the state's going to come walking behind us. They're going to club us in the back of the head they're going to hit us with mace. Um, the local union I work at, we went on a strike at DHL. They maced, I don't know, about 200 of us and hit us with billy clubs. Uh, I took about 20 people to jail. They broke ribs. They didn't care. And then they tried to make it seem like we were rioting when 200 different videos show people just quietly walking, minding their own business until the cops came and just started spraying and beating the crap out of everybody. And this was just a, a few months back. Yeah, um,
0: that, that, that's an ancient story, no doubt about it. And five generations in the labor movement, man, good for you. That's fantastic. Um, Myla and then Justin. Myra,
9: Aaron, it's so, so great to have you back with us. Um, I, I wanted to ask, you know, you were talking about <clears throat> the labor movement being aligned with us. And yet, one of the things that we have found in our struggle to uh, shut nuclear power plants, that it's often the business managers that represent the workers at nuclear power plants who are unionized, who um, who come out strongly in opposition to shutting down nuclear power.
11: Yeah, a lot of that has to do with the, uh, the way that those contracts work. The... The local union, like i'm a dues paying electrician on top of where i work and pay dues there i'm a member of a lot of units actually uh-huh. um, at my electrical workers union um there's a very close relationship with the contractors association and that's a product of deregulation it's the only way that these places could continue to be hiring halls um and does it create exactly what you're trying to describe which is let's get real an incestuous relationship absolutely Um, Absolutely. Is that something that we can address internally? It is tough to do. In my local union, when we went against uh, the Contractors Association, they shrunk our jurisdiction down to one square block. They put hundreds of people out of work. This was about a decade or two ago, and we had to fight to get it back. Um, I'm,
9: I'm kind of curious whether it's coming from the top, whether the rank and file are really um, interested in retaining those uh those jobs at nuclear power plants or or if it has more to do with the business managers and the people who m- are making decisions for the rank and file.
11: Well, I I don't think it's a zero sum game. I do think that people just want to work. And I know that here in where I live in New England, I mean, we get rid of things that just look like power plants. It doesn't have to be a nuclear power plant. If it if it has that that steam stack on it, shit, the one next to Rhode Island and Massachusetts, they detonated it. Um, And there was no nuclear reactor. there. It just was a blight on the horizon. um, And they got tired of it. Uh, So is it about, you know, the actual tie to nuclear uh, power? Not necessarily. But you have to also think about the interests and what their fiduciary duties are, because their fiduciary duties as business managers is to represent uh, their members to the exclusion of all others. And so sometimes they get stuck in the middle, but it's also not a convenient excuse for them. I do think that as a movement overall, we can look forward towards uh, blue-green energy and, and see this green movement evolving and start to say, hey, wait a second, somebody has to work that. So at my local well, union where I'm at right now, I mean, I'm proud of the fact that my guys are delivering and dropping off most of these solar energy cells. And, and we are the backbone that's bringing everything to um, a lot of the offshore uh, wind energy that's going on in New England.
0: Well, I, my personal view, and I wrote about this in 1976, actually. I interviewed the head of the sheet metal workers, Ed Carlo. And, um, you know, the, the um, alliance between the labor movement and the environmental movement is, the, is the mo- one of the most key uh, uh, steps that we can take to saving the planet. Absolutely. You know, um, and, you know for, and in California, we just don't have – the oomph from the solar industry because it's not unionized. You know, we have eight eight. We have 1,500, 1,500 workers at the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant.
11: You know what a great way to organize? Two birds, one stone. Let's hear it. Cannabis. What? Cannabis. Organize the cannabis bar- workers. Or you're going to end up with a bunch of solar energy because most of these grow houses use solar.
0: Well, the problem with the cannabis workers is they can never remember how to sign stuff. No, I'm sorry. Uh, but but, you know that's, that,
11: that's why that's why I have to give them a proper seven days to review and, and ask questions. And, but the reality is this: um, there are so many functions to both solar and and different industries that where they tie in together, um, we can work together, right? So, take the Teamsters, for example. Um, a lot of the a lot of the Starbucks are Cisco drivers. Right. So it's no coincidence that you have a big burly teamster walking in and showing that solidarity. Well,
0: we, we need it. We need it in the solar industry more than anything, because if if the solar industry in California was was unionized, we wouldn't have Diablo Canyon. You know, uh, it's you've got 70,000 people installing solar panels in California and you don't hear their voice when it comes to this ridiculous nuclear plant. And if they were unionized, we would.
11: And what, what what strikes me of concern, I mean, I'm originally from Florida. We would have so many out-of-state contractors that would come in after a hurricane. And I see the same thing happening with residential stuff right now and solar uh, going up on, on homes. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that people aren't – the company's only been around for two weeks, and they're coming around selling solar panels to people, and they put them up, and next thing you know, they declare bankruptcy or go out of business. I know.
0: That, that, we need We need the unions to be in the business.
11: Exactly. Exactly. And you know what else we need? We need state warranties, laws changed so that they reflect things like Massachusetts law so that, you know, you can you can run away from the liability for bankruptcy. But good luck because we're going to go to the product manufacturer for, you know, the implied right merchantability or whatever.
0: So listen, Aaron, uh, Justin, I got to put you on hold. Um, It's okay, Uh, Aaron, if you want to stick with us. Uh, we, many moons ago, we had the great Reverend Art waska uh, Rabbi. <laughs> I just changed your denomination, Rabbi. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, this is the Rabbi Art waska Aaron, we want you to continue to come back on a regular basis uh, if you'll stick with us. But last time, Rabbi waska was w- with us. We, we kept him waiting. It was very rude. And so I want to have him on now. He's with us now. If you'll stick with us, Steve Donziger will be with us later. We hope to talk about Cop City. And Justin, uh, you're a regular. If you can just hold on, uh, we're going to go. And by the way, uh, Progressive Radio Network, uh, which has moved our time of rebroadcast to 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Thursdays, and they're going to be rebroadcasting the entire two hours. So this is a great thing for us, and and it's a good thing. Uh, uh, um, Aaron, wonderful presentation. We want you back as much as possible. Please, you really get it. And Justin, if you hold on, that'd be great. I want to introduce the great uh, uh, Rabbi Art Waskow. Uh, he's been with us before. He is a pioneer in joining the um, uh, spirituality of Judaism and religion in general with Saving the Earth. And Rabbi, I just read a piece. I understand your son was just bar mitzvah. Did I read you that right? Uh, no, my I, granddaughter. Oh, your ba- granddaughter was bar mitzvah. All right, right, that was close. So Mazel Tov on that. And um, we, want, we want you, if you would, to continue. We will then be joined by Steve uh, uh, Donziger and um, uh, Maya Van Rossen to talk about environmental issues. Art, can you uh, tell us, please, uh, what you got for us on joining uh, spirituality with the environment and whatever else you want to chime in with?
2: Sure. Um, I learned my way into this. Uh, I had been active in social, underlying social justice issues for a couple of decades. I had actually, together with a physicist, applied for a grant when I was still mostly a secular activist—a grant from the federal government, the Carter uh, White House and the Carter administration, which Carter understood. Uh, There was a cluster of people in his administration, one of two clusters in the country, which understood that the carbon dioxide business was going to kill the planet. And the other cluster was the staff of Exxon. They understood what they were doing and they were reported to their bosses that what they were doing was going to uh, burn the planet. Uh, global warming is a misnomer, it's global uh, scorching, global broiling, global burning, not just warming, warming is so pleasant. So I was in Washington and doing research. And the physicists and I submitted a proposal to the Carter Energy Department uh, to look at the possibility of organizing solar co-ops in neighborhoods. And uh, the people in the Carter Energy Department were excited about testing out whether it was possible. So they gave us the money. We did the report, uh, about a 250-page report, which said, yes, it is possible. We looked at people. We talked to people. We interviewed people. It could be done. So they gave us the contract to do the actual organizing in a test neighborhood in Washington, D.C., for uh, solarizing co-ops, uh, co-ops because uh, instead of just one household doing the work totally separate from anybody else, the idea was they had a body of people together. They could actually encourage each other, get it done cheaper, uh, actually, uh, etc. So, so we got the contract. Then Carter lost the election and Reagan came to power. Carter had actually put solar collectors on the roof of the White House, knowing that was a symbolic gesture, but a lot of the presidency is about (laughs) symbolic gesture to tell people what's important. Reagan took the solar collectors off the roof of the White House and the people at the energy department said, forget it. We're not interested in your uh, exploring solarization. We said, but we've got a contract. we got a contract with the United States, not with you folks or the last folks. And they, <laughs> laugh. and they Is said, that a oh, go to court. It'll take you about seven years. <laughs> and you might win. But what are you going to eat? And... Uh, uh, strength in the seven years when you don't have. So, Rabbi, I consider the fact
0: that Ronald Reagan came in and ripped perfectly functional solar panels off the roof of the White House to be one of the most horrific acts of vandalism in the history of the United States. Do you agree with that?
2: Oh, no, you're muted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. No. According to this, you're good, I'm you're not. good. <laughs> so the, the physicist knew, I didn't know, but i learned it from him, that CO2 was going to, not instantly, but in a matter of decades, was going to poison heat, overheat, burn the planet. So well, the- those two clusters of people who knew the truth. The cluster at Exxon could have gone to their bosses, and for so I know, maybe they did, and say, Listen, this is not a good idea. What kind of a business plan is this? Your business plan is going to burn the planet. Let's take it step by step and get out of the business and get into. Creating renewable energy. Well, Rabbi, we, we, uh, we, we, we have, we have. but Exxon chose path two, which was to lie, and to tell everybody that uh, there was no problem, that it was all hoax, uh, it was all fantasy, etc. And we, uh, the other cluster of people, were dispersed because Carter lost the election.
0: So we I went. Us, we have with us one of the great experts on the industry, um, uh, Rabbi. Uh, his name is Ron Leonard, and he was involved at the same time you were um, with forming the the renewable energy industry. I see he's wearing a yarmulke. Uh, uh, Ron, <laughs> will you uh, tell us
7: what you want to talk to uh, about with the Rabbi here? Hey, Rabbi. Good, good talking to you again. Uh, we, we had a small chat last time. You're we on. And I wanted to give you some good news. I was faced with my company, which was a solar energy company, Solar Thermal, that just went public when when good old Ronald Reagan came into office and ripped those solar collectors off the roof. And uh, as a publicly held company, we had to figure out what the heck we were going to do to survive. And one of the things that we did was go out to California and put a bunch of solar thermal collectors on a co-op's roof, on multiple co-op roofs and formed a, a sort of a, a independent thermal energy cooperative out there based on your idea. And it, it worked, it worked for decades. And okay. the whole idea is that uh, right now you can also do the same thing with electricity, with solar electricity on your roof. You can form a virtual power plant called VPP And that virtual power plant can help survive uh, terrorist attacks and uh, horrible weather events. And in fact, uh, in two cases, in uh, Texas and in California recently, it propped up the entire grid. So great, great work. Uh, I know what it's like to be a pioneer and I'm glad you were around.
2: Well, I'm glad you're around. You took the very sensible technological way of responding to an administration that thought it was all nonsense, or rather thought that whether it was nonsense or not, they wanted Exxon to make big money. Uh, What I did was ask myself, so how do we defeat people who are willing to burn the planet in order to make money? And it seemed to me that the religious traditions Plural uh, were an important place to work. And I began working more seriously uh, with environmental, earth oriented uh, questions as part of Jewish tradition. The biblical tradition is totally earth oriented. They were shepherds and farmers, they knew that you had to treat the earth decently. In fact, they Worked out a whole plan, a whole uh, how do you deal with the earth plan, which was that every seventh year, you would have a Sabbath, a Shabbat, with the earth, and you would stop organized agriculture for a year, and uh, the land would get to uh, give get its own its own restfulness in that year. And then the Torah, that's chapter 25 of Leviticus. Chapter 26 starts out with, and what happens if you won't, you, the people, who live on this land? If you won't let the earth rest, answer. The earth rests anyway on your head. (laughs) It rests with famine, with fire, with flood, with disaster, with exile, uh, which means refugees in our terms. Uh, I read chapter 26 and it sounds to me like a climate scientist telling us what we are gonna live through if we don't do something about it. So we wasted 50 years, Exxon wasted 50 years. Finally, finally, people began to get what was happening. I mean, wildfires, heat waves, floods, ocean uh, rising, all that beginning to affect people, so many, that is, there's still people who say, oh, it's all a hoax, but they're a minority now. Uh, And many, many, many people are uh, energized to do something. And what we have done is continued to try to awaken the faith communities, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhist, et cetera. And what well, we've done is to focus on uh, sacred holidays because that's when people are most interested in and moved by their own religious traditions. So-
7: I called Jimmy Carter the last honest president. Right, right, right. So. um, Art,
0: this is why we have you on. We want to honor, you really did pioneer the link between the religious community and the environmental community in very important ways. And uh, we're really, really honored to have you on this. I do want to throw in, since I have you This is a a minute, uh, uh, if you don't mind, on October 1st of 1943, the Danish people uh, evacuated 7,200 Jews because they knew that Hitler was going to pick them up. And it's actually it always happens on Rosh Hashanah. That's when it that's when it was. And I want this to be uh, declared a double holiday. So if Uh you will think about that, maybe we could correspond. (laughs) I was in Denmark. And, um, you know, there's a myth that the Danish king put on a Jewish star. That's not what happened. A high ranking Nazi uh, secretly told the king of Denmark that Hitler was going to pick up the Jews in Denmark. And the king told the Jewish community. And on Rosh Hashanah, they successfully, they lost less than 20 people. They successfully evacuated more than 7,000 Jews to Sweden. And this is October first every year, and I think it should be commemorated. Uh, and of course, the Danes uh, have also pioneered the wind industry. I don't think that's an accident. So, at any rate, um, Justin is waiting uh, to talk with you. Anyone else wants to talk to the great uh, Art Waskow, please do. Uh, Justin, let me just go add ahead.
2: one more thing to pick well, up on the Russian piece. What we concluded was to make the festivals which mostly look at the past, also look at the future. So for instance, we have this whole story about Pharaoh who brought plagues on the people and refused to let the people be free. And even though that meant he suffered and his people suffered, his own people suffered the plague. Well, the plagues, which have always been treated as a kind of side trip uh, on Passover. The plagues, if you read the biblical tradition, the plagues are the major part of what happened in the whole Passover story. And we focus on slavery, but we don't focus on the plagues that affected the earth and all of Egypt and probably all of the Middle East. And that is the result of his Stubbornness and his cruelty, the pharaohs. So we are. We have created a number for years. Every Passover, we create uh, demonstrations, challenges, sit-downs, street theater, at the various pharaohs uh, of today. The the carbon corporate pharaohs of today and we are developing ways to make other holidays into activist holidays we coined the word active fests from activist festival active fest
0: we like uh, that right and of course the, the the passover story since we have aaron on from the labor movement The Passover story of the Jews leaving Egypt is actually one of the great labor walkouts (laughs) in the history of of humankind, right? The the, the people who are- A general strike,
2: a general strike. A general strike. It's wonderful that it's been used for at least hundreds, maybe thousands of years as a worker's vision uh, during slavery and slave blocks use the story of the liberation of the Exodus as a kind of code language in their songs, go tell it on the mountain, uh, let right. my people go, all those songs. Uh, but it's time to expand the understanding of Passover to include the, the torment of people, ordinary people, ordinary workers, by the climate crisis and to expand it not only to social justice but ecological justice too crucial to do that for the sake of human beings
0: as well absolutely as well. absolutely um, we have um uh, justin wants to jump in i want to uh, welcome uh, kathy wolf kathy you're in maine and we had uh, um, a great presentation on the referendum in Maine uh, to uh, get public power. I'm sure you're involved with that, and we will uh, definitely give you the links for that. Uh, Justin, uh, go ahead. I see you're wearing your yarmulke. Um,
12: uh, What do you have for Rabbi Waskow here? Well, so I I wanted to affirm that uh, I have a Polish heritage, and uh, I actually uh, didn't come to faith, though, until college. And when I read the Torah, that's when I became a, a humanist and an environmentalist. Uh-huh. So I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying. And to back up a lot of that stuff, uh, so PBS actually did a documentary in which they showed that Exxon had suppressed its own science and its own scientists. Uh, I put that in the chat. Uh, and the uh, I appreciate what you're doing in terms of uh, solar co-ops, what Ron Leonard is doing in terms of solar virtual power plants. The third one I want to bring up is uh, community choice aggregators. Those are actually government agencies that are responsible essentially for local control. Your normal utility is actually the utility of last resort. Your CCA is who you can go to for uh, local control and decide local community policy on energy so that you can have community solar that way Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And then the last thing I wanted to bring up, uh, which goes back to Aaron, is uh, that uh, when it comes to bringing more people into uh, the solar movement, uh, I'm wondering uh, what we can do to help retrain people. Because, say, like the pipe fitters, uh, they don't necessarily want to lose their you know opportunity to work. Uh, by There's trouble, I guess, going from Type fitting to transmission towers is my understanding from some IVW workers. So a labor gap.
2: That some of the bills uh, in Congress have specifically said that there has to be a just transition, that the coal miners in West Virginia can't just be thrown out. They have to be retrained. And the There has to be federal money to make it possible for people to be retrained at decent salaries and then to enter the new economy uh, with their new training so that there's justice involved. We're not trying to make injustice for the sake of uh, saving the planet. We're saving the planet as part of justice, not of injustice. So that's yeah. an absolutely perfect example of what needs to be done.
0: Uh, Art, we have Aaron with us from the Teamsters Union. Aaron, go ahead.
11: Hey, I'm uh, I'm Aaron again. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually here just kind of in my individual capacity, but I will tell you this much there's a lot of federal funding that's being tied to the retraining efforts. Um, the states need to accept it, the states that don't are the states that are mostly having that issue. Um, and so last thing you want is a bottleneck of workers that have all these skills, but they can't apply it. Um, So to your point, uh, I know for a fact, like in my own local union, our joint joint training center, JTC, um, specifically addresses a lot of the new skills and um, the new training that uh, individuals will need to successfully go from one job to the other. But remember this, they retain those old job skills. And those old classifications and those old certifications, and it creates actually, um, in a lot of ways, positive economic freedom for them, because now they have more choices. Uh, now, now instead of having to go, you know, down to Florida during hurricane season to go work electrical lines and run up to Kansas for tornadoes, you can just go somewhere for a little bit and work on solar powers. And when you want to go make extra money, you can go back to the power company. So ultimately, that's what we're talking about is individual economic uh, empowerment wow. I want to
0: point out, and this is very important, that um, in 2016, a very, very broad-based coalition involving the governor of California, the lieutenant governor, the unions, the power company, local governments, environmental groups, all got together and, and did a phase-out of the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant that took very good care of the workers, because we also had an aging workforce work for at Diablo Canyon. And this uh, magnificent deal was working perfectly until last year, the Democratic governor of, uh, of California, who w- may be a serious candidate for president if, if Biden backs down, uh, Gavin Newsom, uh, pulled this deal and sabotaged what well, should have been a, a spectacular labor-based uh, transition from nuclear power to solar. And that is the big fight we have in California. And again, if we had the unions with us in in a more powerful way, uh, we would be in much better shape. So uh, 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 we we think he did it because he's he's contemplating, he's waiting in the wings to see if Biden is going to actually run. And if Biden decides not to run, for whatever reason, Gavin Newsom will be the front runner for the Democratic uh, nomination for president. And he apparently wants the nuclear power industry in his camp. And it's very, very, and they completely are trashing solar, aggressively trashing the solar industry in California by by cutting back on on payback rates, by uh, uh, cutting back on um, uh, community uh, uh, aggregation and on on microgrids. It's a very aggressive anti-solar, Situation going on here in California, and we need the labor movement for God's sakes. Maya Reason has her hand; she's an expert in all this. Go ahead, Maya.
9: Absolutely, we really do need the labor mo- movement. Unfortunately, you know, you may or may not know that the democratic the Democratic Party controls not only the the administration of California, but also both houses of the California legislature, the California Senate and the California Assembly. And on the very last day of the last session of the California um, legislature, it, it, at the midnight hour, the very last thing that they did was they voted to abrogate the agreement to shut nuclear power, they shut pg and nuclear power plant in 2024 and 2025. They abrogated that agreement. The agreement had been ratified by the legislature and signed by Gavin Newsom. And they hid behind labor. They, there were labor spokespeople who came and testified and complained that if the plant were shut, that uh, that jobs would be lost. So one of the excuses for not shutting the power plant, even though there were provisions in the agreement to retrain and to take care of labor, they hid behind labor. And and they also claimed, Newsom claimed that, um, <clears throat> that um, there would be blackouts and brownouts. It was all a fear in that people would die and there were just all kinds of fear tactics and it was very dishonest. And, uh, and we're really hoping uh, to turn it around, but it's a big fight here. And we're just hoping that an earthquake doesn't cause the uh, a, a horrible Fukushima scenario in California in the mm-hmm. meantime.
0: Before, I just want to thank you, Maya, uh, Maya, Maya. I just want to jump in. We have um, 55 people on the call. Um, uh, this is the uh, Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition call. Maya, Maya Von Rossen, is she with us, uh, Wendy? Um, uh, I don't see her on the call, but um, Art, this is, Rabbi Rabbi Art, this is someone we want to, and um, uh, Aaron and everybody else, oh, there's Maya. Maya is an incredible activist, uh, Rabbi, uh, and um, has won a major victory that you should know about uh, both in the religious community and the um, uh, labor movement uh, with some young people in Montana who have won a federal case. Maya, can you, Maya's Mm -hmm. author, what's the title of your book, Maya?
13: The Green Amendment, the people's fight for a right. clean, safe, and healthy environment.
0: So you're right. on with Rabbi Art Waskow, the pioneer of the a community, uh, joining the religious community and the environmental movement, and with Aaron, a, a teamster who's done tremendous work in the environmental field. Tell us about this great victory uh, in Montana, please.
13: Yeah, so I can only take partial credit for it. There were other attorneys, other organizations who actually brought this litigation and pursued the litigation to victory. And this is the Held v. Montana case where 16 youth, Um, represented by the Western uh, Environmental Law Center and our Children's Trust challenged a state law that prohibited consideration of the climate crisis whenever they were rendering decisions, including issuing permits to the fossil fuel industry. And so this challenge was based on what I call a constitutional green amendment, um, where in the state of Montana and the Declaration of Rights section of the Constitution, there's a provision that recognizes the right of all Montanans to a clean and healthful environment. And this legal challenge um, said that this prohibition on consideration of the climate crisis was resulting in a constitutional violation of the right of these youth to a clean and healthful environment. And because it was based on what I call Green Amendment language, um, as I predicted, um, you know the case was, in fact, successful. And the law was struck down as unconstitutional. The thing that's so powerful, um, at this point, there are only three states, Montana, Pennsylvania, and most recently, the state of New York, that recognize the rights of all people within the state to things like pure water, clean air, safe climate and healthy environments, and give those environmental rights highest constitutional recognition and standing. Um, In all those three states, there are powerful decisions like this recent climate victory that are taking place around environmental protection. because. We, the people with the passage of a green amendment have this powerful constitutional entitlement. And so that held v. Montana case was the most recent victory based on green amendment language. It was the first victory in that climate frame which was really powerful and important. But we have these kinds of amendments advancing in 15 other States. And we just within literally the last three weeks I've had Four more states reach out to Green Amendments for the Generations, reach out to me and my organization to say, hey, how can we get this in our state? So we're working really hard to get this kind of powerful constitutional recognition and protection in every state across the nation so we can have these kinds of climate victories as well as victories to protect the rights of people to pure water, clean air, and healthy environments everywhere. And ultimately, we'll seek one at the federal level, but we're starting with the states.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Art, Art needs to be unmuted. I want to call on Tatanka, make sure that you're um, introduced as well. I can't seem to unmute you, Art.
14: No, I'm unmuted.
0: Okay, you... there you go. And, and um, Art, I want you to meet, uh, Rabbi Waska, I want you to meet Tatanka Bricka. Uh, Tatanka is with the Romero Institute in California with Danny Sheehan and Sarah Nelson, the other Sarah Nelson. And um, um, uh, Tatanka, go ahead, please.
14: And also with the Dolores Huerta Foundation, we work, both those foundations work together. I have a question for you. Uh, uh, Hello, Art. Yeah, you're good. A question for Maya. Is California among the states that have been talking to you to institute such a provision here?
13: So California is one of the states where um, in recent weeks I've been having really meaningful conversations. Um few months but but more robustly in recent weeks. So it looks like there is the potential for this kind of advancement in California. Um but you know for it to happen it's going to take everyone. So if you're yeah. interested in you uh, yeah, know helping join the conversation, let me I'm know. I'm
14: interested and I can probably speak to most every Californian here. We're all interested. So be sure to follow up with us on that. The well, other thing
0: you're in Ma- Massachusetts um, Art, uh, Rabbi Waska, what state are you in? Wait, wait, wait! You're um, you're muted. For God's sake, why is he muted? Here, go ahead. I'm trying to unmute you, Art. There, okay. go. Okay.
2: The Shalom Center published a major article that had been done about the Montana case, and we put it also in the context. The last words of the last of the ancient Hebrew prophets were, I will send you Elijah the prophet to turn the hearts of the elders to the youth and the hearts of the youth to the elders lest the breath of life become a hurricane of disaster destroying the entire world. So the notion of the youth and the elders getting together is a deep religious teaching to save the earth. That's actually, I, I read it, I can hardly believe somebody had written this 2,500 years ago, uh, which is when it was. So we are already trying to encourage people in Pennsylvania to take the Pennsylvania constitution and children uh, especially uh, to act on the Pennsylvania Constitution. Uh, so, the, yeah.
13: Can so, I just speak to that a little bit? So Rabbi, you may not know, but it was I and my organization that actually breathed legal life into Pennsylvania's constitutional amendment. And that is actually the foundation of the founding of the National Green Amendments Movement. I looked at Pennsylvania's constitution after we defeated a very pro-fracking law that was passed in 2012 and, in, and did so based on Pennsylvania's long-ignored constitutional language. I identified what was so powerful about it and what allowed us to be victorious. I dubbed it a Green Amendment, looked at every state and found that only Montana had similar language. And that's when I embarked on my um, journey to, to seek and secure this kind of constitutional amendment in every state. The thing is, we have to be really careful about how and when we proceed with legal actions. And so in my role as the Delaware Riverkeeper and founder of the Green Amendment movement, very active in the state of Pennsylvania, we really have, long before the held victory, been looking for the right kind of um, claim that is in the climate frame. Um, But it's difficult. You have to have a, a, a... you have to have the right government action that you're challenging to allow you to bring it into that frame. When we defeated the pro-fossil fuel, pro-fracking law back in 2013, that was a big victory for the climate. But it wasn't framed as climate litigation. It was framed as litigation against fracking. But yet, it was a powerful climate victory. There's a case in New York on the Green Amendment which has to do with the landfill, but one of the claims is greenhouse gas emissions coming from the landfill. It is a victory for the climate, but it it, 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 it can't be framed in the same way because in order to bring this kind of constitutional claim you really have to be looking at that specific government action so you can have a big victory but it depends on how the government action is being framed in you know in order to see what's going to be your victorious argument in montana it was a law that said the government can't consider the climate crisis boom period full stop so it was really a really um allowed for a constitutional Green Amendment challenge that was entirely focused on the climate argument. But in Pennsylvania, and believe you me, I've been looking for a lot of years, you know, we don't have right now yet that kind of government action that has lent itself to this that framing of the litigation. There are a couple of things in the offing in Pennsylvania, like the pursuit of hydrogen hubs, for you know, that false um, energy solution, where when Pennsylvania um, takes an, an action that really starts to install or, or um, grants the first permit or the decision or the funding for a hydrogen hub in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we're going to be able to bring that kind of constitutional challenge in the climate frame. But if we do it prematurely and we don't have the right kind of action and we do it just because Right. It was really inspiring in Montana. So we want to do it everywhere. Then the truth is what we're going to what we risk doing is bringing a case that's not the right set of facts to bring this kind of claim and handing the opportunity to the courts to say, you know what, we're going to unravel the power of this constitutional green amendment, which is actually okay. what happened for the first 42 years of Pennsylvania's amendment. So All I just right. want to let everybody know we're thinking about it, but we got to be really mindful and careful to do it successfully. Well, yeah, you, you and gotta,
11: I, gotta I should talk, talk.
2: We should get in
0: touch. I'll get you, Aaron. Uh, Rabbi, I'm going to go to Aaron. I want to ask you if we could possibly maybe uh, incorporate the green amendment and, and uh, amend the Torah. Um, uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron, go ahead, Aaron. Aaron. It's there.
11: Well, I, I, I am not Elijah, so I can't, I can't speak on behalf of the entirety of the Torah, but I, I'll, I'll support Rabbi there and say that it is there. If you read closely. It is. Uh, Maya, your, your work's amazing. Um, and, and a lot of people, it is, it is challenging for them to understand that you have to time your shot, plan your shot and take your shot the right way. Otherwise you end up scoring points for the other team. And and nobody wants to do that. And I, and I do want to point something out too, because labor, we are an attractive distractor in a lot of ways. Um, our movement has not <clears throat> uh, verbalized things right to the uh, to the public in a lot of ways. So we've been absent from social negotiations. We haven't been in the social fora. Um, so it allows people that are power, um, you know, brokers in a lot of ways, or the decision makers, to blame us, right, uh, for their failures. And that's been the reality of this situation, not only in the, the green climate uh, climate crisis, but also like look at our union. Look at what happened with Yellow. That company tried to blame the Teamsters for their own fiduciary mismanagement. And I would argue that that politicians do the same when it comes to their lack of uh, uh, like actual uh, lawmaking. I mean, they're the laziest legislators I've ever seen uh, in the 90s. If you all remember, we used to do laws. And now all of a sudden, everything has to rely on, well, the law is already set. Let's just go fight it out in court. And my proposal is to do it the other way around. We should engage in social negotiations. We should be having more referendums. We should be talking more about these these green amendments. Um, And, you know, if we're talking about being partners in success, then the real challenge becomes how do we see the best sides of each other? Um, And we can't fall prey to those kind of age-old divisional tactics where it's like, but, but the green environmentalists want this, and that's not good for us. And, and, but labor wants that, and it's not good for us, because all that does is separate us. And those divisive tactics are what these billionaires survive off of. Right. right? You got three farms out, out in California that are sucking more water than the entire Northeast. Explain to me that. Right? Where well, are those regulators? And, 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 and so it's easy enough to just kind of distill down into it's a lack of action by people. Well, I,
0: and I have to say that one of the great miracles, we'll put it since we have a rabbi on with us, in the, in the environmental movement, is that almost without exception, what's good for the environment is also good for the economy and for job creation. Right. Because the, the whole solar and wind industry, right. the, the dollar per job is 10 times what it right. is in the fossil nuclear industry.
11: Absolutely. It's and, and that's not to forsake either those, those jobs that still kind of exist in fossil, right. Um, they're going to be there for a while, but not um, forever. And, right? and, and I'm yeah. going to give you an example. When, when my house was built, right. It was the last of like multiple phases. They didn't run the gas line down. So what did we get stuck with new Englanders that are on the call are going to understand home heating oil. And it's the worst thing ever. Right. Um, right. So I'm in my office right now because my, Home heating oil decided to come out of my uh, boiler <laughs> and that's not supposed to happen um right. so right now there's an emergency response team over there like soaping everything up and then uh, replacing it but, but in
0: 1976 i worked with a guy named richard grossman who has unfortunately passed away and he had this great insight that whatever we do for renewables if it's solar if it's wind if it's if it's geothermal ocean thermal it always turns out to create more jobs and better jobs than, than fossil nuclear.
11: Well, and here's, here's, here's my issue with fossil, these sacrifice zones, right? Like um, we could start talking about community allocation and how we accept certain amounts of risk. And then, you know, we just say, well, the property values are gonna be lowered. And then some people just kind of take it on the nose, but that's not right. That's not kind to our neighbors and, and we should be able to work uh, right. in these communities. Um, and then you see the other side of it, which is the predatory solar industry that does exist, that is out to exploit workers. They are absolutely out of private capital. Um And so how do we meld all that together? Well, I think we take a little bit of Maya's concept of a Green Amendment. I think we look at what Maine's doing with public authorities, and there you go, right? Have people- And, and,
0: and the jobs and the unions. If the unions would get more aggressive in California, for God's sakes, and get the 70,000 solar workers out there to shut the abo and create those those solar jobs, we'd win in a heartbeat. Let me go to Tatanka Bricka here, who's yeah. right in the middle of this fight. Tatanka, go I, ahead.
14: Yeah, I just want to have a, we don't have time right now. I want to have a future conversation uh, with with Maya and also with Aaron, because in California, with the work that Romero and, and Dolores Huerta and other many, many nonprofits and businesses and state officials have been doing, we have brought together a, a a really historic cooperative relationship with labor and with environment, with the IBEW, environmental workers. And this is still waiting for some future action. One of the questions I have also, Danny Sheehan has prepared, um, which hasn't been submitted yet because we have to find someone that was standing who has the guts to do it, but there has been extensive research done on a RICO action against the eight major oil companies in California. So my question hasn't been introduced yet, but it's been written. My question is, um, is there is there any precedent for uh, a state with with a present situation in which there is some legal precedent of corporate capture of government agencies that is a major problem, that's preventing the right decisions from being made, whether it's diablo canyon or whether it's solar is there anything in that and then well, i have I one, point thing, out, one other thing i want to talk about too
0: well very quickly i want to point out rabbi art um talked back 50 years when exxon knew this was happening we know now that exxon knew it was happening uh this is not biblical times it's the 1960s and 70s and and there we go but okay go ahead to talk. what's the next part
14: Okay, I'll leave that for you to think about. The next part doesn't have anything to do with this, but I just want to say, you introduced the show, uh, 9-11-73 was the assassination of Salvador Allende and the whole (laughs) neoliberal slash fascist experiment uh, on the country of Chile. I want to have a program sometime, as we know Naomi Klein uses that the the prime example of shock doctrine, I want to have a program sometime that talks about the implication of that, that we're living with today, that we talk about Chile. Uh, This September 16th, in just five days from now, uh, is the date of Victor Jara's assassination, the most popular folk singer and artist in Chile, who out of the soccer stadium and myself and uh, Janetta Sagan and Joan Baez were establishing Amnesty International in this country and working on both the Greek junta and the, the Chilean junta at the same time, uh, Victor Jara was uh, a favorite of Jones. And for years, every single concert she sang around the world was always accompanied by Gracias a la Vida, one of Victor Jara's statements. He was, he was publicly, had his hands mutilated so he couldn't play the guitar in front of thousands of people Uh, being held and tortured in the soccer stadium. And then he was uh, killed there. So he became an example. And um, at that time, only Guatemala was using disappearance uh, by the elite uh, for uh, by authoritarian uh, dictators as a means of social control, but later became the most popular form in nearly every country of the world to keep the have-nots in line, because you can't get closure. It's so difficult to get closure on a loved one that's disappeared. Okay. somebody's assassinated. it can be a martyr. So future discussion, thank you. Thank you, Art, and thank you for that, Tatanka. Art Waskow,
0: yeah. Ra- Rabbi Waskow, do you wanna jump in on that, and then we'll go to Wendy? Yes,
2: yes. Just a couple of years later, on the streets of Washington, D.C., two of my colleagues, at the Institute for Policy Studies were murdered by the Chilean Fascist Embassy. They're Orlando Atelier. Exactly. Yes. And, and his assistant. Um,
14: Ronnie Moffat. It was Ronnie Moffat. Ronnie Moffat,
2: yes. Yeah, that's right. And Ronnie Moffat and uh I was at the desk of the incoming phone call. Uh, when the police called to say that this uh, automobile had blown up and two of the people in it had been killed. Um, And that was, and it it was blown up as it passed the circle uh, in Washington, the traffic circles of the Chilean embassy. It took years to prove that it was the um, Pinochet government that had killed him. But in a way, it was Kissinger and Nixon, who you didn't mention, but who in fact orchestrated the entire coup.
14: Yes, and the CIA worked directly with Dina with the death squads of Chile.
0: Yeah, I want to repeat uh, (laughs) from two hours ago when we started the call that uh, Robert Reich, who was the Labor Secretary, uh, under Clinton, has an excellent piece um, uh, on his normal blog today about about Kissinger, who is still, for God's sakes, alive and um, needs to go to prison. Um, uh, you know, uh, he personally uh, orchestrated this. This wasn't some kind of rogue operation. This came right out of the White House, for God's sakes. Um, uh, as you know, Art, you, you being at IPS, and by the way, you know that we have had uh, your colleague, the great Marcus Raskin. Uh, we've had his son on, Jamie, on these calls. I should probably get you two together. You you were probably at Jamie's bris. Um, so, at any rate, probably was. They lived, were you Were you in fact at Jamie doors Raskin's bris?
2: What's that? He lived three doors up the block from me, and my kids and their kids uh, were. Close friends. So, were you at Jamie Raskin's bar mitzvah? That's what we all want to know.
0: <laughs> no, I wasn't. All right. Okay. Uh, Wendy, and then back to Aaron. Go ahead. This is a. I want to say this is a fantastically wonderful discussion. I mean, what a great group of people to be able to to share this with. Uh, I am. I couldn't be more pleased. Uh, Art, you're just a real treasure, and we want to keep having you and Aaron. Uh, Maya, I mean, you, you people are just as a, 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 we have so many great. I got my buddy Dave Saltman is on with us, who uh, I know from college is one of the great TV producers of our era. Um, it, it's really great, Ron Leonard, to have all of you. Kathy Wolf, who is a founder of the Clamshell Alliance. I mean, this is a truly astounding. Myra recent, amazing group of people. Go ahead, Wendy, and then we'll go back to Aaron and then to Tonka again. Go ahead, Wendy.
9: Thank
15: Thanks. I'm not sure if Aaron had something to say about this particular conversation because then I'll I'll yield to him and then go after him. Go
11: ahead. Un poquito, I will point out one thing, right? We were just talking about Henry Kissinger and uh Pinochet stuff. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that we were able to prove that the government actually set the bombs in the Haymarket affair. And our labor movement suffered for over 150 almost years, 100, 140 now, roughly, as being called anarchists and people who didn't like this country because of what this country's own fascist leadership did so. You know it exists overseas.
0: Well, that, you know I didn't hear that as a historian. The Haymarket bombing. There was a rally in Chicago for the eight-hour day. I think it was eighteen eighty-six, and but- um, a bomb went off. Nobody claimed credit or anything like that. Nobody knew where the bomb came from, uh, and they they hanged uh, four. Uh, anarchists. A, a few of them weren't even anywhere near uh, the actual rally. And
11: one, and one of the people that, they hung. One of the people they hung is uh, the great great grandfather of a well known brother of mine, well known union member and organizer. And it is largely what pissed off his entire family to continue to organize because it, the dude was out to lunch miles away. He wasn't even at the thing, right? No, it's I mean, common. Go, go to go to this day right now, right? 2023, 9 11, and we still have our government repressing the labor movement, the environmental movement, the religious movement. And I mean, we're talking about in ways that probably aren't so profound and obvious to most people, but um, there is a lot we have to do for operational and informational security just to keep ourselves safe from it.
0: Yeah. And it's this is a really, I don't have to say this, but uh, in, in Ron DeSantis, we have seen, I think, the most. Dangerous, outright fascist uh, a governor in the history of the country. Uh, uh, Ron DeSantis could very easily uh, be running the SS, and and could very easily be setting up death camps. And, and th- this guy t- is absolutely terrifying to me.
11: And, uh, on. Hold on, hold on. He's tolerating death camps, Proud Boys training camps across his state that he knows about. Uh, Southern Poverty Law Center has sent them detailed information about that. The FBI knows there are hate groups training right now across Florida and they are mobilizing. They're showing up to events. We've had some people down here that are from Florida that they've shown up as a reaction force um, because Ron told them to go essentially through the through the press. And I mean, it's disgusting uh, that we are so polarly uh, driven. Because at the end of the day, most of us, 98% of America agrees about most issues. And it's not us on the left that have an issue, because let's get real. Everybody on this call, for the most part, we're just left of center left, right? The real problem here is state state authority. And, you know, there's a great book about uh, the mask of uh, state control and authority by Damascus. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's about comparative law. I absolutely love how, you know, the two masks of state control and authority um often oppose each other and so when you look at ron desantis what you're looking at is a dictator that hates himself and it's probably because of the baggy pants i'm just going to say it
0: <laughs> well i have said this before people think i'm kidding but i believe i don't have much of a gay dar but i am 100 percent convinced that ron desantis is gay but you know what, what can i tell you i don't hold it against him <laughs> but you know let's deal with the reality Um, uh, Tataka again and then uh, Wendy if you want and Art if you want to pipe up please do this is a wonderful discussion I don't think Steve uh, has showed up but if he does we'll we'll bring him in Uh, Tataka and Art I I need you to understand Tataka is a very very and and Aaron and everybody else, Tonka is a major organizer in California. But with Dolores Huerta forever helped found Am- Amnesty International. Um, and so, and his car is not moving. So, go
14: ahead, go ahead, Tonka, please. I I did neglect to mention Rabbi Waskow. I welcome another conversation with you. And when we are talking about organizing with these other two people, you're welcome anytime. Um, you were you may have been at the march and rally after the assassination of Ronnie Moffitt and Orlando Letillier sure. on DuPont Circle. I wanna say that Danny Sheehan and Sarah Nelson, today it's the Romero Institute, but it was the Christic Institute before Bush senior shut it down after uh, they were about to put uh, the off the shelf enterprise folks, Ollie North and all those people to jail when the Republican party went to the DNC the DNC went to uh, a future candidate for for uh, president and asked him uh, if he wanted to be uh, that candidate. And he said, yes, this was John Kerry. They were funneling all the information to get a Senate hearing on this. And he said, uh, you want your shot for the presidency? You deep six all this information you got from Danny Sheehan, which he did. And after that, the Bush administration basically did all these dirty things to shut down the Christic Institute. But Hmm. the follow up of that is we didn't know until five years ago. And a friend of mine who is Orlando's nephew, who is a teacher at UC Santa Cruz, is a friend of mine. And he said his family, including his mother, who was the foremost constitutional attorney in Chile in her 90s, They still couldn't get closure because they knew who in the Dina, who in the the death squads of Chile was responsible for her son's death in D.C., but they didn't know who was responsible in the CIA. And I got Danny Sheehan together uh, with Fernando, and he knew exactly the individual that was responsible. And he took that back. And they had a whole ritual and a whole ceremony and they got closure, of, of finally, on that. It was important for them to know the name of the person who uh-huh. killed their son.
2: Uh-huh.
14: Yeah. So there you go, Art. Um, um, it's uh, six
0: o'clock, Steve, and Wendy, if you can stay with us. Uh, I, I, far be it from me, we still have 47 people on the call to shut this down. Um, um, Art, do you want to say something? And Then we'll go to Wendy.
2: I guess I just want to say... So far as I'm concerned, Henry Kissinger was the guy who killed their son.
0: Yes. And I, I just can't resist adding that um, um, uh, Alan Dulles, there's been some flurry of interest again in the Kennedy assassination. I was in the New York Times. There was a piece um, the other day. Uh, I don't think at this point in time there's any doubt on 9-11 that uh, Alan Dulles killed Jack Kennedy with a green light from from Lyndon Johnson. I mean, uh, uh, to me, I, I don't see any any doubt in that. And, you know, people are still trying to figure out exactly what happened on 9-11 at the World Trade Center. We certainly now know what happened in Chile. Um, and uh, I think we know what happened. at Dewey and I, I will
14: say, Harvey, and follow up with that, when Danny Sheehan did a course at UC, which you can get all but the last two segments of the twenty. 20- 20 session course with the students on who killed JFK, in which he took seven theories. It's a masterful thing. But he kept on the blackboard all the all the connections. It was very clear that that, uh, yes, who who gave the green light was right there with all the connections going to him. And LBJ was right there. And there were a few others in the global fascist conspiracy that The network that comes out of pre-World War II, World War II, and post-World War II that nobody has really written about. And those are the two segments that you can't just get off the website because it actually hasn't made it in print yet because he's been so busy with Stan rock and now with this UAP thing with a new office in D.C., you know, setting up the civilian office for the UFO stuff. Well, I want to say one thing to
0: Oliver Stone, uh, who just... (laughs) <laughs> you know, has, has completely polluted his entire career with a pro-nuclear film. And so, Oliver, I want to say to you that trusting, asking if nuclear power plants are safe of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, asking the Nuclear Regulatory Commission if nuclear power plants are safe is like asking the Warren Commission who killed John Kennedy. OK, I just want to make that clear. All right, uh, Wendy, you've had your hand up for a while. Then Lynn, uh, th- you guys, thanks for staying with us. This is absolutely wonderful. Go ahead, Wendy.
15: Thank you. Um, I do want to answer everybody in the chat that's asking me about Zicker because I'm getting a lot of these questions. Um, I did speak with him earlier today, and he confirmed. And um, I think he probably got sidetracked. I know he wanted to be with us. Um, so I'm sure he couldn't if um that's what happened because he confirmed several times. So um I'm sure he'll be back soon and I apologize to everyone. Um
0: probably I'll just had
11: to- a, probably had a fundraiser or the marshals got him again. I'm just oh, saying.
0: Would you oh, like no, no, his like phone thoughts. number? Well, wait, we, I had uh, I was at I was with Steve on Sunday Saturday at a fundraiser in in Topanga Canyon. And he's alive and well, so we see what's then, Let's hope yeah. he is now. Okay, no, go I ahead, Wendy.
15: Thank you. Yeah, he texted earlier, so I know he, he's fingers okay.
0: crossed. Um, so, um, okay, thank you for that, Wendy.
15: You're welcome. So I was going to, I guess, I may as well comment and then segue to the other thing I had my hand up for. Um, I just wanted to comment on, you know, the 9-11, um, 19, or 1973, and then um, 9-11, of course, like, to our modern times with but I don't think people like maybe a lot of people don't really know in detail what happened in Latin America and the blow black that we're still receiving today in the immigration crisis I mean it's all due to our own intelligence communities covert operations and Pinochet who took over for Allende had people he had prison camps um prison ships for 25 years we funded him and we we do this all over the place and Allende was um a democratic elected president that actually shot himself in his office when the troops were coming for him. So he died with his people. Um, and that's the kind of leader, that's the democracy and freedom that we actually take out. And so um, we see that there's a minority of forces within our government that denies the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to a clean and healthy environment, the right to have safe and healthy water, having these an, an economy, any of these things. And so Segwaying kind of back to what we were talking about with Maya, one of the great legal tactics and strategies of what her work is, is with these constitutional amendment, it makes it so not only does it override the legislature and what they want to do and it enshrines the people's will, but it's also a way to hold the regulations enforced because, what's the good of the court system? What's the good of having regulations if, I mean, they just burn them like the, like the burn the flag, you know? So, um, when you can create a liability that any person can sue the state if they're not doing their job as regulators is pretty revolutionary and it's really profound. And it's just this amazing bypass that the way that the law is written and it's written it the way that it's written for many reasons, but this is, what Maya is doing is just truly brilliant and revolutionary. And I definitely hope we can have her back again. I'll connect her with well, Aaron and people we're working we'll with. We'll have
0: her. everybody back again. And I think if, um, and thank you, Wendy, I think if we uh, want to see um, um, uh, Ron DeSantis's blueprint for the future of Florida, we should look at what happened in Chile after the murder of Allende. I mean, I'm sure that's exactly what Ron DeSantis has in mind. Uh, if he could dig up Milton Friedman, and put him back in charge of the Florida economy. That's exactly what we had. I did, by the way, meet uh, once meet uh, Milton Friedman. And um, the one thing he has in common with Robert Reich is they're both about the same height. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, uh, Lynn Feinerman, go ahead. Thank you, Wendy. Lynn?
4: Yes, hi. Um, Harvey, you had said, you had said, I don't think there's any question about 9-11, and I, I wasn't sure which
0: 9-11. Oh, were- 9-11 and Chew
4: Okay, well, I mean, what We I'd know like exactly say,
0: what happened in 9-11 in Chile. I'm not sure we know exactly what happened at the World Trade yeah, Center. Yeah, what
4: I'd like to say about that is that I was there. I had just uh, shown a movie of mine at a festival, and so I went through the whole thing in New York. And one of the things we did was to go to firehouses to cheer on the firefighters. I have never seen firefighters looking like that. They were, they were like coming back from the dead. And um, they tried to testify at the commission, the 9-11 commission, and they were suppressed. They were not allowed to say what they had seen. And many of the firefighters um, said that really trustworthy firefighters had seen bombs strapped to the pillars of those buildings when they went to try and save people. So wow. I would just like to say that we really, 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 really don't know what happened in 9-11. And you know, PNAC, the Project for a New American Century, said it. They said it straight up. You know, it's like what's his face's Mind Kampf? Okay. They always tell you how sick they are. And they 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 they, they said, you know, we cannot institute what we want to institute for the 21st century unless we have a new pearl harbor and i think that right. that is what david ray griffin was getting at there's a lot there that nobody knows about so i just wanted to say that because it is 9 11.
0: well you know if you do the time if you do the timeline uh, the kennedy assassination was in 63 and, um, uh, you know, it's t- taken about 60 years. I think there's a reasonable consensus understanding that Alan Dulles uh, killed John Kennedy. I don't think there's much doubt. I think in 73, uh, you know, 50 years, we now know pretty clearly that Kissinger did um, uh, uh, the murder of Allende, Uh that, You know, and um, uh, uh, how long will it take before we have a definitive consensus on On The the World Trade Center? I don't know. I don't know. But 50, 60 years seems about right. I will say one thing. You mentioned Mein Kampf. I can't resist this, especially with art on the phone. I once held in my hand a copy of Mein Kampf that was signed by Adolf Hitler. And I never in my life have wanted to get something out of my hands as fast (laughs) as, as that book. It was like holding radioactive waste. So there you go. Um, uh, Art, feel free to jump in anytime. We have wonderful people here. Myla Reeson, go ahead, Myla.
9: Well, I just wanted to circle back to what Wendy said that um, Allende committed suicide. And I looked it up because I never really heard that before. And I see there's an article by the BBC uh, saying that a court in Chile came to that conclusion many, many years ago. But I'd like to remind everybody that we were also told that Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide and other people. Um, I I don't know whether it's conclusive. Uh, It's just one of those things that I think is an open question. Um, And it's, it's clear that however he died, it was due to the horrific actions that happened on that day. That were orchestrated primarily by Henry Kissinger. So yeah, whether... the,
0: the, I agree. My my very good point. The suicide that comes to my mind is Gary Webb, who broke exactly. the broke the uh, broke the, uh coca- the fact that the Contras were bringing cocaine, and then, then then mysteriously he committed suicide. I don't believe that for a minute. And and, there, uh,
9: and and Harvey, let me just say that they say that Gary Webb shot himself in the head. Not once, but
2: twice.
0: <laughs> twice, yeah. I mean, come on, really. Um, uh,
14: <laughs>
0: you got it, Aaron. Um, uh, Tatanka, go ahead, please. Uh, and then Wendy and Maya. There's and Art, if there's anything amazing. you want to
14: say, go ahead. There's a lot of amazing testimony and books and uh, on 9/11 in New York City that would be really good to revisit sometime. But it's interesting to me. I mean, one person that was really key to that whole command control center being at ground zero at building seven. And the one that really made it happen was Rudy Giuliani. The police and fire were totally opposed to ever having that there said it had to be a borough, the last place it should be. He lobbied heavily for it. So the, the book is not closed on Rudy Giuliani's in, uh, involvement in 9-11, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's interesting.
0: I will say also in terms of environmental stuff that is absolutely criminal that any of the first responders were allowed into that site without respiratory equipment. Nobody should have been gone anywhere near ground zero without a, a protective breathing apparatus. And, and and Bush, of course, set the precedent. Uh, w went down there and gave a speech, and, you know, he's not wearing anything, and, and, and the, 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 I, I Bobby, guarantee
11: you... Bobby. He's doing that on top of 343 dead firefighters with the sounds of their passive alert safety system going off behind him. And he has no regard for these people.
0: Yeah, it was outrageous. It was and, a political and, uh, but- stunt.
11: At that point, I mean, look, we can talk about the, the dynamics between whatever happened on 9-11. But at that point, that was a political stunt for fascism. And this man propelled us into a faulty war that caused us to lose trillions of dollars. And we wonder why today we suffer with basic material needs. I mean, it's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and another another death we need to bring up here is Paul Wellstone. I knew Paul Wellstone. I don't believe for a minute that that airplane went down uh, no. accidentally. Not not a chance. Uh, no. Wendy, go ahead.
15: Thank Wendy. You. Thank you. I didn't know, did Maya have her hand up? Did she have uh, Maya,
0: she did someone else to... have a hand up?
13: I did, I did. I, I actually just wanted to lift up, I, I know we're talking about a lot of horrible things that have happened in the world and this is related to a horrible thing, but I actually just wanted to lift up a family member of mine and seeing as the rabbi is is on this call and it's really an honor to be with you on this. Um, I'm just wondering if you or anybody else on the on the call has ever heard of Troos Weissmuller.
12: Uh,
2: say the name again?
13: Truce Weissmuller. So Truce Weissmuller, she's she's a member of my family. My my mom was Mariko Weissmüller. She's Truce Weissmüller was a a great great aunt, great aunt of mine, somewhere in the family tree. And she is actually credited with saving 10,000 Jewish children from the Nazi camps. And she in many different ways um, helped to bring children out of. Um, Germany, out of Austria, out of other places, bring them over the border and bring them into um, Holland and get many of them to England and literally save their lives. And there's a a beautiful um, Netflix documentary about her. Uh, You can't get it in the United States of America, which is really horrifying. Can
0: Can you spell her last name?
13: And actually, I write about it in my book. But okay. You can find the name, but it's um tr- her her the last name is weissmuller W I J S M U L L E R. Now this isn't really about the book. This is about my cousin Bruce, and yeah. you know she was just a, a special person. And actually, my opa, my grandfather, also stood up to the Nazis when they tried to take his children away and and force them to fight, and he refused to let his sons go. And he ended up in jail for a while. And, and uh, people were very worried about what would happen to him. But anyway, I just felt like we're talking about, you know, all these horrifying things and these horrifying people. But I think it's also really, I don't know, just because of what we're talking about, and the Nazis were mentioned, and all these horrifying things, I just wanted to lift up, you know, really that, 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 Mm. that powerful message that, one person willing to put themselves on the line can really make a difference, and Tantatruz did that. Right. Ten thousand Jewish children and they, 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 and their families are on this earth because of what she was willing to sacrifice for everybody. Well, I want
0: to, I want to re-emphasize with Art here, uh, Olskal, that, that to me, um, I grew up in a, in a secular Jewish family, and you know we celebrated the holidays. I had no idea what's going on, but I really got meaning for Rosh Hashanah, which this year will be October 1st, which is the same date that the Danish people evacuated the Jews from Denmark. More than 7,000 Jews got out in pretty much all in one night. And uh, they only lost 20 people, going less than 20, going across the Straits to Sweden, which thankfully took the Jews. They didn't have to, but they did. And this is one of the most inspiring moments of all in all of world history, and it happens every Rosh Hashanah, and that is my Rosh Hashanah. So you know, you're bringing that up, Maya, is right on target. So thank you for that.
2: Um, well, Maya. Oh, I, go ahead. If I can shift back to the question of green amendments, I've been thinking that one failure of American politics is that it's clear. Okay. There are many holes in our democracy, which are the result of the Constitution, uh, the Senate, the whole structure of the Senate, which is actually unamendable. Uh, the provision for amendment says you can't uh, take away the equality of votes from each state, uh, and there are many other places. So the whole Electoral College is anti-democratic uh, and we wouldn't have Trump as president if we had had a popular vote decision uh, but uh, so the question I want to ask is what would it take to create a federal green amendment
13: so so two two things on that first I I really think it's powerful that you you know you recognize that when the language isn't the right language with the right placement um, We can actually do more harm than good. And the the fact of the matter is there, there are dozens of states that actually talk about environmental rights already in their constitutions, but the way they talk about them is they say people have a right to a clean and healthy environment as defined by their state legislature. And so if their state legislature defines clean water and clean air as water and air so toxic that it gives kids cancer, right, and causes heart attacks and asthma attacks, well, you know, the constitutional entitlement of the people is fulfilled, but nobody's better off because actually the power, once again, was given to the government. The power was not given to the people. And that is what's so different about a Green Amendment. That Bill of Rights placement and the carefully crafted language that I work with communities to develop ensures that the the ultimate power, once you get a Green Amendment passed, that ultimate power lies with the people. Of course, it's not going to be an instant panacea, but it really takes the most powerful legal tool we have in the United States of America and puts it to work for people and the environment. Um, I, I'm very careful Hi. strategically, Rabbi, to focus on states first. We do ultimately want a federal Green Amendment, but The states have a lot of power when it comes to the environment, number one. And so we need state green amendments, just like we also need federal green amendments because we need government held accountable at both levels. That's sort of number one. Number two, we all know we're not positioned to get a federal green amendment at this time. If we were to propose a federal green amendment It would, number one, instantly fail, but number two, it would suck all of the energy out of the room because everybody would be throwing their time and philanthropists throwing their money at this federal green amendment that does not have a chance of passing. And it doesn't have a chance of passing, not just because of the politics of today, but because... People haven't heard about this idea. Many people I speak with, I'm sure that you speak with, they think they have a right to clean water and clean air. They think that there is a constitutional entitlement to a healthy environment and that there's a problem when we drive species to extinction, right? They don't understand that the way our laws are already written is they're they're, they're written to legalize pollution and harm, not to actually prevent it and and give that entitlement to the people. So we have to, to get a federal amendment, we have to educate the people so they understand the fundamental failings of the law. They understand how a constitutional entitlement can provide this broad, powerful protection to all aspects of the environment where the law is fundamentally failing us and really give the power back to the people. And, and- to me, strategically, What better way to do that work so that in the coming years, we will be poised to get a federal green amendment than to actually do that education and organizing state by state by state, seeking and securing green amendments at the state level, proving we can do it proving how powerful they are how powerfully they work convincing people and good government officials about the power of this pathway and in so doing that we're creating the knowledge and the foundation necessary so my so that in the not too distant future we will be ready for a green amendment a federal green right. amendment and, and my and goal my, is in the next 5 years
0: and one of the uh, one of the pitfalls one of the pitfalls we face are uh, which we keep running into and infuriating is that the right wing, uh, the, the corporations, what I call King Kong—coal, oil, nukes, and gas—insist on uh, def- trying to define nuclear power as green. And so, when you get these these pro-green uh, movements going, they they waltz in and say, "Well, nuclear power is perfectly green," and they and they try and get this stuff, you know. Uh, sheltered under under green amendments, it's outrageous. Look,
2: I I understand. I agree green. with the notion that this takes painstaking organizing, maybe first at the state level, but there was a second question I wanted to put, which wasn't which wasn't or maybe does need to be about a federal amendment, uh, but maybe can be accomplished in other ways, and that is this: we have. In the States, as we just saw in Ohio, provisions for referendum and initiative in which the people get to decide. And we just saw that an attempt to make it really harder to adopt an anti-abortion, uh, pro-abortion, pro-abortion rights amendment was defeated in Ohio because the people got to vote on it. Uh, that was the result of a whole organizing drive back in the early 20th century that produced in those states uh referendum and initiative. But there mean, was never a drive to do a federal referendum. Well, let's get to uh, Aaron. We Aaron have, do you we, want to comment on have, that? We have the education. And the, at the state level, we have the sense that the people can really make a difference if they use the referendum and the initiative.
15: What would it Wendy, haven't you
2: been waiting? Aaron,
15: Aaron has oh. been waiting. Go ahead, Aaron. And I I just heard from Don Zigger. He has got sidetracked. I'm going to tell him if he wants to hop on for a second, he can. well, no, we're at 425.
0: Yes. Um, um, we still have 41 people with us. Um, let's just keep going here. And and I don't know how long Steve can stay awake um um but let's take it to 440 and then we'll we'll sign off steve if that's all right with you um uh but uh aaron uh, you were you're waiting to speak aaron
11: so there's there's this thing that we don't ever really talk about a lot and i mean it's an amazing lever and we should pull it more often and article 5 of the constitution allows us to do a constitutional convention we've had quite a few candidates that never make it you know past the private and the general to talk about it. But if we get two thirds of the state to just call for a convention, bam, we can solve all of our issues at once. And I mean, I personally would rather sit in a room with my foes and knife fight with a pen and kind of finally solve these problems, right? Clean Water Act, absolutely my on the money. Why? Because all it does is incentivize fines, right? I mean, there's prohibitions, there's restrictions, regulations, everything. But what's the penalty? Who goes to jail? Right. When my hometown, when I'm living on, you know, the where I'm from in Panama City Beach and a 50,000 gallon storage drum from Deepwater Horizon came and landed on myself. Who went to jail? Nobody. If I did that as a citizen, my ass would be sitting in the brig for the rest of my life or Ron DeSantis would be having me swing from the gallows considering my organizing. Now, um, Harvey, you had mentioned something about the book uh, not being closed on 9-11 with Rudy Giuliani. I'll remind you that the book's still not closed on his conspiracy with Donald Trump. Even though he's indicted, we're still not sure where the hell the Four Seasons is. I'm just saying.
0: Hey, uh, may you live in interesting times, right? Tataka, Art, did you want to jump in and then Tataka?
2: the question I wanted to pose, all of us, is: is there a possibility of creating even an advisory uh, a national referendum, a green referendum, and a democracy referendum? They're the two greatest crises we face. Would it be possible even to create them without a constitutional amendment? Uh, would it be possible to create them the way the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party created its own delegation to the Democratic Party in 1964, is that if the people got to vote, in fact, on a green referendum, it would pass. And it could have real
14: enforcement power. I think Maya has an answer for that. Very quickly, Maya, and then we'll go to. I talking. just want to Maya. say,
13: I, I would love to get together some great minds to think this through, because anything we can do to 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 speed up the passage of Green Amendments at the state level and the federal level is powerful and important. So, Rabbi, I hope we can circle up at the end, you know, together. I know Wendy will connect us.
0: Well, I think we'll we'll have in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, a, a reconvening of this discussion. Um, uh, but in deference to uh, the rabbi, we'll have it in Yiddish. So, you guys got to uh, anyway, uh, there uh, as a historian, I can say there is no provision, um, in the constitution, and there never has been a national referendum. No, so no. it's something to think about, absolutely. Well, we,
2: you and, know, the first, if what we call the constitution was adopted unconstitutionally, yes. <laughs> the articles of confederation. Had a whole system of how to amend the articles. Yeah, the but it didn't work. Gathered it right. in Philadelphia in 1787, shrugged and ignored it. Yeah, and it created did. what we call the Constitution, regardless. But because it was amended, if you have a sufficiently deep crisis in society and people understand. That the Constitution we have stands in the way of, not in order to help us, but in the way of solving that crisis, the green crisis, and the existence of a major fascist party in the United States. That could be dealt with if we had real democracy, full democracy in the United States. So the question then is, how do we get there? piece by piece if necessary which I think is necessary
0: right well you know I think the Constitution is 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 junk frankly uh but because it was amended uh, we do have the greatest sentence as far as I'm concerned ever written, which is the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States and I, I when I taught I had my students uh, reproduce it for 10 10 points um in the, in their midterm exams and I could, I'll recite it now, but I won't. Congress shall make no law, and you know, that's the one great thing about the American Constitution is the First Amendment.
14: Uh, Tatanka, go ahead. Yeah, I have I'm supposed to be on a call right now, so I this has been an absolute pleasure, and I just want to say this distinction between power to the people and relying on legislation. Most of you probably know where Joe McCarthy got his power for the House and un American activities to go after the left, you know how that. You know where he got that power? From Roy Cohn. <laughs> it was a it was a law passed by the left, specifically to root out Nazis in the United States, and the right immediately seized upon it to persecute the left. So there you we go. Have you have, care- you have we to have to be careful. We have to be those kinds of things.
0: Careful for what we wish for. <laughs> yes, because we might get it. Thank you, everyone.
14: Okay. See you next time.
0: Thank you. Great to have Thank you, Tataka. I'm, I'm glad you. you pulled over. Thank, Thank you, you so, so. much. Tataka stayed at my house uh, the other night, and it's just wonderful. Um, Wendy, Ron, and then we're going to give Art the last word. Okay? And Aaron and Maya, great, great, great guests. We hope you can come. Well, we'll, we'll, call, we'll com- reconvene this, this little shidduch here um, in, a, in a few weeks and keep this wonderful group going. Uh, Wendy and then Ron and then anybody else you want to come in, raise your hand now please.
15: Thank you. Um, and Donziger said he'll reschedule. So we'll let Maya know. We'll, we'll, we'll get the gang back together when, okay. when he's able to. Um, yep. the, yeah. Thank you so much to our guests for being here. It's just such an honor. And I just, I get so uplifted when Maya's spirit is around. She's very special. Um, well, so so you. I, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank um, you. So kind of just, um, it's like a two-part kind of a thing. And I hate to go back to it, but um, yeah, it can yeah, you do it
0: quickly. Cause we, we told us uh, okay. could go to bed at four 40.
15: I, I can keep us up. Uh, <laughs> like I, I don't mind staying, but um, so my, my thought is just um, not to go back to the nine 11 thing again, but since it did come up, I wanted to make the point that um, so the families that took a settlement for, which was kind of weird anyway, cause it wasn't like a natural disaster, but there was a settlement, a payout given out to the, the survivors families. And they all had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. The guy in charge of that, I, it's not, it's jumped out of my head, the, na- the guy's name, um, but he was the char- put in charge of like the czar of finances. Same guy was, is like Feynman or something like that. N- n- no relation to him, I- I'm sure. But he, when BP oil spill Gulf Horizon happened and those survivors and victims impacted by the flood, the, you know BP was kind of put in charge of cleanup like North Folk Southern is now. The guy in charge of all those non-disclosure agreements and all of those settlements that BP signed where the people got totally screwed, like Hawaii is happening now, same guy that was the czar for the 9-11 family settlements, because when they sign the non-disclosure, that means there can be no investigation. Same thing with Louisiana and all the Gulf Coast states. They signed on with this guy. It's killing me that I can't remember his name. I should have looked it up. But so now we're seeing this set up and there's actually a lot of these companies that are to go in to do the cleanups that are hired by these corporations that all of a sudden have all this power to, you know, be, um, you know, delegating this authority when it should be FEMA and and all these things, they're consolidating. So it's only going to be like one or two companies that, you know, when, when the train explodes and everybody's covered in crap, you know, there's no recourse. Again, it comes down to Laws and regulations not being enforced, so I'm just wondering Maya's thoughts on her angle on like, especially when when people and individuals can't sue these corporations that destroy them, and the the agencies are sitting on their hands. And then also, I know like I not to go too far off, but I know a lot of your book and a lot of your work is based in rights in nature and rights to nature, and maybe that's a conversation for next time. But that came up with Donziger again, and which is something we're so so. Thank you so much. Thanks.
0: Thank you, thank you. Uh, um, um, can we go to Ron? Well, Mike, if you can give us a one-minute thing, and we'll go to no, Ron. Why do we do
13: that on the next show?
0: All right, we'll do we'll do that Another when we question. come back. Is that cool? Uh, okay, Ron Leonard, Patricia, and then we'll give Art Wascow the last word. And Aaron, if you want to jump in beforehand, uh, you've been a great guest
7: as well. Ron so, Leonard Art, I'm and gonna, Patricia. I'm going to try to a, put a bow around this whole nine eleven discussion. And it starts with, you can't sue City Hall. So I sued City Hall, and I sued City Hall over the Clean Water Act. And the City Hall that I sued was the former mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani, and he lost the case. And the beauty of it is, the judge says on uh, 2001, she's, you know... You guys are just guilty. You shouldn't have done this. And normally I'm going to find $65 million, but you know, you just had 9 11. I feel sorry for you. I'm only going to find you $5 million. But guilty is guilty as charged.
0: Okay. Thank you for that, Ron. Uh, uh, Patricia, uh, Aaron, I'll let you get a word in and I'll give the last word to Art.
4: Hi. Uh, Yes, and
9: in the vein of uh, remembering those uh, whom we should not forget and that our government has done in, this is very painful for me, Um, a young man named Aaron Schwartz was persecuted by our government for trying to pass net neutrality, and he was this wonderful boy and they murdered him. I they claimed he committed suicide, but I don't buy it. So please don't forget Aaron In shorts, um, he fought very hard for net neutrality and was and was being very successful. And the government persecuted him with with just a horrible vengeance. And uh, later claimed he committed suicide. So yes, I, I remember Remember him. him.
0: Thank you, Patricia. I do and remember he, him. Um, uh, Aaron, and then the Art, Aaron, if you want to say anything it's solidarity forever, and then Art.
11: Yeah, I was in solidarity forever. Um, in the links in the chat, um, uh, Carolina was so kind to drop uh, one of the tweets that captures a guy, a couple of guys outside my house in ghillie suits with cameras. Um, one has a badge on, happens daily. So when we say state political repression happens and is a real thing to us as labor activists, I mean, my family's life is on the line daily. Um, don't ever forget that, because you might not see these cats outside. As Steve can tell you, sometimes they'll use the levers of justice in different ways than corporations. Um, but it's disgusting. Um, so that's pretty much all I have to say. And I appreciate you having me on today, Harvey.
0: Well, we'll have you back absolutely. Thank you so much. It's great to have you with us, uh, Rabbi Art. You get the last benediction here. Yeah. You want to sing a don't
2: What I what I would like is to ask urge that in considering your guests you pay more attention to the prophetic religious community that had, it did not die with Martin Luther King it grew again with the seeds that Martin Luther King and others sowed 50 years ago uh, people like uh, Matthew Fox, who's out, I think, in California, certainly on the West Coast, uh, who do not think that science and spirituality are opposed to each other. They understand that the deepest of our uh, spiritual lessons also become the proto-science of the Bible, like that. Uh, math, uh, that uh, seven-year, uh, seventh-year um, sabbatical pause of the Earth that makes total sense in scientific terms, and it makes total sense in spiritual terms as well. Treating the Earth as uh, a living being, not just a bunch of uh, objects to be exploited, so I think. It's also, as I said, the spiritual traditions did not die with King, but they have been weakened by enormous amounts of money put into the right wing uh, Christian nationalist, white Christian male nationalist uh, movements and outlets like this webcast really uh, need to lift up again, uh, the, not just one rabbi, but the multitude of effective, prophetic, transformative religious life. And well, I
7: let's, let's you, you and our inspiration.
0: Yeah, so let's you and I and, and Wendy and uh, the rest of the crew, Steve, and Mike, uh, let's coordinate and let's do a special um, uh, town meeting on spirituality uh, and the left. I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. So why don't we work on that together, and we'll get it done within great. the next few months, and we'll have again, we'll have a uh, a great gathering.
2: Great, great. Okay, okay.
0: thank you. Well, th- th- this could not have been better. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Steve, for your patience, and Mike, uh, Wendy, for k- keeping the, the thing going um uh, what can i say um happy new year with Tova coming up and um uh n- and let's never have another nine one one like these last two okay yeah. we will see you next week we will be here next week maybe steve uh, donziger will be with us art you you Aaron, maya you're always welcome everybody and um we'll see you we'll see you next week same time same place and no nukes everybody
7: No nukes. I have a dream of no nukes. Yes, indeed. No nukes. We will. See you guys. Good good time. You Really good.
9: Have a sweet new year.
0: We will. Well, it's it's, all of us. Thank God. Everybody, it's been wonderful.